Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. My name is Nick. Alongside with me, as always, the wonderful, beautiful Dr. Robin Hall. Hello. Hello. There's a hair poking me in the nose on my microphone. Uh, how many times do you get to say that in life? Not many. No. That'll probably be the so, only time. That's lucky. <laughs> Hello, sir. Hello. How it, are you? I am good. It is a brand new day today. Yes. And it's starting to get cold now. Like really right? cold. Yeah. I mean, well, cold like. for Glendale, right. Arizona. I'm I, still not wearing a jacket, but at night it's J- pretty <laughs> James left this morning to go to the abortion clinic mm-hmm. in his shorts and Crocs as always. But, um, gotta love, gotta love but I, I told him, I was like, you need to put Toby in pants and a, in a mm-hmm. what are the, uh, a hoodie. Mm-hmm. So that my mother-in-law can take him outside. Mm-hmm. So it's very motherly of you too, as well. Well, I am his mother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of mothering, <laughs> I was watching a, a a YouTube video, or it's like a TikTok or whatever, like one of those shorts. And kid had a hoodie on, but you know it was snow outside. And the mom's like, "You need to wear a jacket." And then yeah, puts him in a jacket. And he's like, "I don't want to wear a jacket. I don't want to wear my stupid jacket." And he go and he slams the door and he goes out in front and goes, "I don't want to." And then she opens the door. She goes, "What did you say?" And he goes, "Nothing." Oh, that's <laughs> Nothing. hilarious. Put on your jacket. And then he has to put on the jacket. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, uh, we do not yeah. actually like we get it. Get there historically, it has definitely gotten to freezing and below here. Mm-hmm. What, 32 degrees Fahrenheit mm-hmm. for all of our listeners all over the world mm-hmm. where it gets actually really cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but typically, like, our lows don't really drop too much below 40. No. Um, but it's, that's cold for us. It's like, been a strange winter across America, too, as well. I mean, it's been warmer yeah. than previous years. And we had a uh, we had a, a short summer and a long winter yes, last year. Right, we did. So it just flip flopped, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I wonder how it's gonna. It's probably gonna get really hot really fast. This just no in Arizona. I'm not surprised. I'm just no. It stayed really cool late into the season last year. I'm glad I lost so much weight <laughs> because same. <laughs> it, I'm experiencing weather differently. Oh yeah, it's not as miserable. And I go, you know what? I kind of like the, the heat. heat and oh. the cold. Like I'm, I'm okay with. I don't it. love the heat. I really don't. I'm just, I'm just now realizing how. You know, stable Arizona is, you know, you know what you're getting. Pretty much. (laughs) Like closer. It gets really cold in Arizona is a very climate, climate diverse state. Mm -hmm. Like if you go a couple hours north, there's snow. Yeah. I mean, this winter, that's also been very light, but you really don't have to travel too far in any direction to get like a very different climate than the valley. Just go to Flagstaff and boom, you're in winter (laughs) wonderland. But, um, but yeah, we're pretty spoiled. Mm-hmm. In terms of our weather here, I would say mm-hmm. you can go outside a hundred percent of the year. You can plan a spontaneous picnic and not have to worry about yeah whether I weather. mean you really want to be careful about that in July, <laughs> but you might get a monsoon. Yeah, not a mon- you might bake to death in the heat. <laughs> um, but you you aren't totally stuck inside at any point in the year. Mm-hmm. Even in the hottest heat, you can be in on water mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, and in the coldest cold, it's not that cold. So, yeah. but it's, yeah, it is they, getting colder. <clears throat> I go to the sauna at the gym 
and during the, uh, the summer, so I don't have to pay for it. So during the summer, <laughs> I just sit on my car. Yeah, <laughs> with the air off yeah, yeah. for two minutes. <laughs> Get a nice detoxing yeah, sweat going. Yeah, 120 degrees outside. Yeah, good. <laughs> My yeah. trainer, I always text him that we have this really intensive micro... Or, it is micromanaging, but it's just a habit set right sure. now. So that has a really negative connotation. And in this one instance, it's not negative, yeah. I will say for me. But um, so I always, as soon as I'm done, like doing my cardio, I send him a picture of like the completed time mm-hmm. and, um, you know, like my average sure. heart rate and all that stuff. And then I'll send it like a message like, and I'm soaking wet and dead. Like, mm-hmm. and I'll usually send like a gif of somebody like yeah. that related to dead. Yeah. And it's so funny. Tales from the crypt. He's a brand new baby Christian, but he was like, those are the demons escaping your body. Those are the demons <laughs> escaping your body. Yeah. He's like, you're yeah. detoxing every time you sweat like that. You're like flushing your system out. Yeah, I'm like, not, oh, that's good. He's not wrong. No. You know what I mean, I like the analogy. I do too, <laughs> actually. <laughs> It motivates a Christian. Yeah, yes, yes. purging out evil. <laughs> I'm killing the Canaanites. Yeah. They're all <laughs> I'm getting them out all over the land. Nephilim are not welcome yeah, yeah. here. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, let's do our business stuff and then we'll hop right on into our yes. episode. So these are longer episodes. Um, we are finding that recording in the way that we are as a season, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and doing a bunch of research really all at once and then mm-hmm. recording all at once that this, you're getting longer episodes. So, so you're, yeah. we, you, so you're welcome. <laughs> so you're welcome. Or, man, if I have to hear right, his voice them talk one more again, time. Yeah. Talk more. So we really hope you guys like it. If you, please tell us, let us know like what you guys think mm-hmm. about the format, about the longer epi- at this point, you guys will have already had the first episode of the season mm-hmm. released, and that was a over two hours. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely by far our longest single cl- episode. I think it clocked in at two twenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So something like that. Today's will also be longer. Um, but we, yeah, we hope you guys like it. You know, we haven't had anybody tell us that they want less content so Mm -hmm. that's good Mm -hmm. that bodes well for our longer episodes yeah but as always you can contact us at a couch divided podcast at gmail.com and email us with your questions comments or if you just want to say hi yeah um we love you guys and uh we get many of your emails you can also find us on social media at a couch divided pod both on instagram and facebook Mm -hmm. and you can find us on our exclusive on the couch show um that is another show that we do uh where we kind of just freestyle and talk about day-to-day life psychology everything (laughs) Um, at, uh, Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com, Patreon, Patreon, is yeah. it? Patreon, uh, patreon.com <laughs> slash a couch divided. You right. can get access to our exclusive. Right. And well, you have show. to be, you have to become a member, a Patreon right, right. member, which supports us and helps us bring more content, yes. including our exclusive show. Mm-hmm. And those of you that are already patrons, we are so, well, we're so grateful to everybody, but we're especially grateful for you guys. You guys are helping us keep on the lights and we love you. So, yes, yeah, so we appreciate the members that we have uh, so far. If you would like to become a member, just once again, go to patreon.com slash a couch divided. You won't be uh, you won't be sorry no, or disappointed. <laughs> um, we, at the time that we're recording this, we haven't actually um, employed yet the multi-tier version of our Patreon. But at this point that it's being released, you guys mm-hmm. will have access to decide what tier you want to be a member. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, each tier is uh, 
got really cool exclusive stuff. So we really appreciate your patronage. And like I said, it helps us to keep doing this. Yes. Exciting things coming down from a couch divided this year. Yes. For 2024. 2024. All right. All right. So uh, what are we talking about today? Well, I mean, it, it was kind of timely that I mentioned the, the jacket and the, yeah. and, the, <laughs> and the motherhood because we are talking about parenting styles mm-hmm. and we are talking about the things that even parents got to deal with or, you know, vice versa. As well, so. Yes. I think this is a huge topic. We have gotten questions and requests for this topic in a lot of various forms, some about attachment, attachment trauma, attachment mm-hmm. styles, parenting styles. Um, I think discipline is a huge question, period, like mm-hmm. across the population, but it's a it's a question within the Christian population. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, we decided we would tackle this giant topic, and mm-hmm. this is likely to be the first of... We'll probably revisit this again in mm-hmm. the future from other angles. So, but that we're hoping to really kind of set the foundation for all of this. So, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of info, just like in our last episode, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll kind of close out after we've reviewed all the basic stuff with what does God say about this, mm-hmm. you know, and how should we as Christians. Mm-hmm view the various stuff that you're going to hear all the, I mean, TikTok is flush with parenting advice. Mm-hmm. Um, everything on social media, yeah. you can find information and influence in just about every corner. But as a Christian, um, you really, it's very important actually that you understand what God is saying about parenting. Yeah. Um, as our ultimate, perfect, sovereign, just father, what does God think about parenting? Right. It really matters. So from the academic side down to the practical side, pragmatic side, to the preeminent theological right. side. So the so what, as Jeff Durbin likes to say. The so, so what. what. So what about this? So we said all this, so what about and it? And we think God cares about mom and dad. Yeah, we really As we do. call him father. Yes. We I take th- this very, very seriously. Very, well, I mean, and I think the way that he is a very clearly structured family is another, I don't think we have any room at all to deny that God finds this very important. No, it's all All of human civilization and history is organized around this structure actually. And because he finds it important, it's also very controversial to men because, well, they want to run their own. Right. We want to run the show. Uh, You know, okay. I just had the most real, like random, but interesting thought about this. And I want to say it now so that we can come back and answer it later. Yeah. I wonder what attachment style mm-hmm. Cain had mm. as the murderous, the mm. first like person to commit, what well, to yeah. commit murder, but like a jealous, like a rage murder. Yeah, sure. What uh, what influenced that yeah. jealousy? Why? Well, uh, I mean his yeah. his despicable sinful heart. Yeah, because we can say the fall. <clears throat> well, and that's I mean ultimately. Ultimately, you can boil all answers to this kind of thing down to very simple, mm-hmm. or all these questions down to very simple answers. Mm-hmm. The answer might be simple, but everything around it becomes gray and nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What? Because sin, of course, sin and jealousy is what motivated Cain. Um, but I wonder how he was attached to his parents, Adam and Eve, mm. right? Anyway, just putting that out there into the ether. Well, we'll try to analyze that. <laughs> Okay, so um, we're going to start with what psychology, right, modern psychology says about parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- so I'm just going to make a couple of like general statements. And <clears throat> in the future, we're going to do a full episodes on some of this stuff. So 
Um, we're not going to get into all of it in a lot of detail. Um, just broadly here, but modern psychology, like the, the, the current vein in modern thought is that parenting is extremely important. Mm -hmm. Um, it's influential, right? Mm -hmm. It impacts the adults that children Mm -hmm. will turn into. Sure. Um, they, uh, modern psychology will also say that having two moms or two dads is equally as good as having a mom and a dad, Mm -hmm. which is not true. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that is the argument Mm -hmm. that they will make. Um, they have their own definition of what a good. Sure. Um, they will also say that divorce is highly impactful and Mm -hmm. typically in a negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, while they might argue that there are certain circumstances where divorce is actually relieving, Mm -hmm. um, they will say that divorce, it impacts child really rearing, rearing, rearing significantly. Mm -hmm. Um, Woke, so, you know, woke psychology says that family is important, mm-hmm. but then they get to define family mm-hmm. in whatever way mm-hmm. they really want and, to. And they make a, uh, exceptions for the destruction of that family. Yes, they well. do. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think for this is an example that Nick and I were talking about before we started recording. But um, if if you as if an adult male came to a psychologist and was was talking about uh, feelings, um, or desires, uh, in homosexuality. Mm -hmm. Um, it would not be uncommon. In fact, it would, it would really be considered a violation of the ethics code to do otherwise. Um, that the psychologist would encourage the exploration Mm -hmm. of those feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. And ultimately, like a following of one's heart and a, mm-hmm. and a not denying one's mm-hmm. desire, um, even at the expense or cost of destroying a family. Mm-hmm. So basically <coughs> this give in to your uh, proclivity yeah, uh, 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 towards the same sex and then infidelity. Right. So. Uh, well, yeah. And fornication ultimately, because mm-hmm. that's what it ends up being. Yeah. Um, if you engage. Or perhaps introduce that into your marriage kind of thing. You oh, know, yeah. Three partners. Oh, all no, that that's stuff. very true. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. The thruple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see them going either way. If they care about the family, they go, well, you can't deny your feelings. Well, and there so bring whole, somebody else in. There are a whole, like there are definitely therapists. I don't know. I know of one specifically in the Valley that this is their specialty. Mm-hmm. Uh, helping couples navigate uh, following like a quote coming out experience by one or more of the partners. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, a dumpster fire. Hmm. Can I just say, yeah, like, wicked. I couldn't imagine being the psychologist either, or the th- or the master's level therapist, whoever. Mm-hmm. That the only thing that they had, to, like, that their sessions are really preoccupied with, is mm-hmm. trying to put out the dumpster fire yeah. of that. There's all kinds of things that uh, I mean, we can. That's another episode entirely. How we can see that not only impacts the children or the family at large, but then the you know a communal responsibility and then the, the society around you how that influences from house to house to house to house. Right. We talk about, uh, at Apologia, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates all the time. Uh, when we go from state to city to county to uh, whatever, uh, to town, all the way to the family, and it starts with the family. In order to influence anything, it starts with the family. Oh, of course. So when a destruction happens in the family, and that catches on as a trend, when you have a disastrous right. state that you it's, live in. It just like steamrolls. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody goes, well, I'm not harming anybody. 
but you actually are. Right. And here's the implication because right. it's generational harm. That right. You're, we're talking. So about here. we are when we do do when we do do our episode <laughs> on family, like the importance of family, what God calls a family versus what the world says a family is. We've got secular psychology, sociology, anthropology. None of them, none of those subdisciplines can deny that there are clear consequences. Let's just say for something like fatherlessness in Mm -hmm. communities where fathers are absent, where Mm -hmm. there is a a large absence of fathers, you have what? Mm -hmm. Higher crime rates, Mm -hmm. like like everything is impacted, Mm -hmm. health, wellness, life expectancy, whether or not um, the likelihood that you will end up incarcerated. Mm -hmm. All of those things are impacted simply when you remove a primary mm-hmm. parental figure and specifically and that's the father. Just, that's just by removing it. Just you removing know? I mean, him. We're so vulnerable as creatures to give ourselves over to those things anyway. Right. When you remove something that is supposed to mitigate those mm-hmm. things, you have no chance. So it's so it's such a ridiculous thing to me to to see all of those statistics, right? And to see the organizations and the groups, the mm-hmm. people reporting on them and like see this is awful, fatherless. Mm-hmm. But then to in the same breath say, but it doesn't matter if you have two dads right. and two moms in a home yeah. it, that the outcomes are the same. You know, and I know, um, and we'll, we'll get to our, our, our notes and the things about parenting styles and attachments, but we always awe and wonder, like, let's just say out of the football player that makes it and he says, hi mom, you know, at the end of every game. Oh yeah. And he, because he didn't have a dad. Toby's going to do that when he's yeah, an I'm, NBA star. I'm not quoting the Bill Cosby joke. If you're wondering <laughs> what I'm talking about, you can go Bill Cosby parenting. But um, um, but that may not be a good, good thing to bring up. No. Now. But uh, he has he's a, not a He's not a prime <laughs> example. He's a good des- example of depravity. Yeah, a depravity. But he's got, a, he's got a joke about a high mom at the end of the game. But the reason why I bring that up is because uh, there is a lot of stories about, uh, you know, a man... Uh, buckling down and knew that he had responsibility and that he couldn't give himself over to gang life or anything like that. And he was only raised by his mom. That happens a lot, but it's very uncommon. Mm. Usually it's the other way. That's why when we see that, like that football player, that athlete excel and he only had his mom, his mom busted his butt, took care of him, made sure he was disciplined, got himself in school and (laughs) things like that. She was acting as both. We go, wow, Mm -hmm. because the odds mm-hmm. and are so, not great. So just understand the reason why you're going, wow. One of the reasons, yeah. Is because the absence of a father usually doesn't give themselves over to that kind right. of this, you Your assumption is, mm-hmm. wow, this ki- this once child and now mm-hmm. adult mm-hmm. has had to overcome tremendous yeah. obstacles. Yeah. And his mom, yeah. single mom, also had to overcome tremendous Be obstacles. Both mom and dad. Right. And that happens. <laughs> yes. And it, you can pull it off, but man, you know, under extreme anxiety and well, the church should can, be there ca- to you help. You can kind of pull it off. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I mean, clearly moms yeah. do do it. Mm-hmm. And I, so we don't want to exclude single dads. Mm. There are dads that do it, but like ultimately that's was not God's intention for the family. And we'll get into this, but there's yep. a reason why God is near the widow and the orphan. Yes, so, go ahead. indeed. Okay, guys, so we're going to start with um, laying some foundational stuff here, um, and we're going to start from a secular psychology point. So a lot of this is kind of become pop psychology, Mm -hmm. so um, I'm assuming that you guys may have heard of, you might be familiar with some of the stuff that we're going to go over at least a little bit, but I'm hoping that 
we'll expand that a lot for you guys. So we're going to start with understanding something called attachment theory. Mm-hmm. So um, it was it's really born out of like Freud's mm-hmm. discussions on love, his drive theory, mm-hmm. really. Um but the first uh, psychoanalyst that really like honed in on that specifically and started doing like spent his life researching it was John Bowlby. Mm-hmm. That's B-O-W-L-B-Y. John Bowlby, which I just enjoy that as a last Bowlby. Bowlby. Um, good nickname <laughs> if you have that nickname. What would it be? Bowlby. I like I like the. That's that a, name. is it not a nickname if that's your actual name. But it sounds is like it? a nickname. It sounds like some of a pet name. Yeah, that I would kind of. Yeah. Hey, Bulby. Yeah, <laughs> Bulby's coming over. Bulby's yeah. on his way. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so he was a Freudian psychoanalyst in the 1950s, <clears throat> and he was very very interested in attachment. Um. So he expanded on Freud's theories about love, which oh. Guys, if you're really interested in learning about Freud, go on back to literally, well, it's actually, it was the first episode we ever recorded, but it was the second episode we released. Mm-hmm. Um, much Ado About Self, mm-hmm. and it's all about Freud and Young. So mm-hmm. still one of Nick and I's favorite I episodes. It. It's a I good episode. It. Always do. Um, so he described um, attachment, okay, so we're talking about attachment theory, mm-hmm. as lasting psychological connectedness between human beings. So that's a really general term and we're going to get more specific in just a second. Um, so he, Bowlby shared the like grander psychoanalytic view that early experiences in childhood are really important for influencing development and behavior in later life. Okay. So Freud argued postulated that all psychopathology so like any anxiety depression anything that would occur later in life was all rooted in what we would call a critical period from essentially birth to age seven Mm -hmm. so bulby shares that same viewpoint um and while freud we must always take with a grain of salt Mm -hmm. um or a grain of cocaine yeah i was like like, he he was doing lines he was doing he was doing a lot of cocaine (laughs) Um, oh, Freud. Cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine. Cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, he, I don't think he's wrong about this. I think mm-hmm. he was observing reality while, albeit a little bit, you know, influenced by the upper stimulants he was mm-hmm. doing. Um, but it is true. Um, the blueprints for a lot of functioning happen in those first like critical years of life. And a lot of it has to do with attachment, which is what we're talking about here first. Um, so he also believed Bowlby was an evolutionary psychoanalyst, mm-hmm. just like Freud yeah. was. Um, so there, there is an evolutionary component in, t- in his theory, but mm-hmm. I think as Christians, it's very easy for us to look at the argument that he's making as a product of evolution and immediately understand it not as yeah, they, not as a product of evolution, but as a a product of well, design. Ev- evo- God's design. Yes, right. That was what I was getting ready to say. Because evolutionists always want to go. Okay, the reason why it's our design now is because something back three hundred million years of random right where we just say happened. it, it kind of mm, always was. No, no, no. <laughs> um, it looks like it's intelligently designed because it's had sixty five million years to weed out, which is a presupposition. Oh, so, guys, yeah. come on, come on. Okay, so um, he believed 
from an evolutionary standpoint that attachment aids in survival. So this is, this is all born out of studies that were done with animals. Mm -hmm. So like, um, imprinting that happens in some birds, Mm -hmm. right? Like ducks and geese, the first thing, Mm -hmm. person, object they see upon hatching, Mm -hmm. they form an imprinted bond with Mm -hmm. and they will follow it around Mm -hmm. and sometimes to their detriment because if you imprint on something that isn't a mama bird. Don't they say that about ducks and geese? If like if you have them around chickens, they start to believe that they're a chicken? Totally. Yeah. I mean, believe they are a chicken. They just say, hey, you're here. I'm following you. Yeah, yeah. Come hell, you're my ride or die, chicken. So they've been developed and their survival is... Right. So... Mimicking. The way this would aid in survival is if if you form a strong emotional attachment to your caregiver and your caregiver forms a strong emotional attachment to you, then you are much more likely to be taken care of and therefore survive. Survival of the fittest. So um, how do we understand that as human people? Well, God created man Mm -hmm. and then woman. Mm-hmm. and told them to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. God loves us as we are his children. Parents love their children and children love their parents. Mm-hmm. It's actually it, like, it's and right. And it would be nice. It is such a, <laughs> it's such a, an uncomplicated yeah. <laughs> explanation. Yeah. Um, you introduced the fall into there and now we right. have sin, yeah. right? Corrupts everything uh, mm-hmm. except God specifically. Yeah. So, um, I'm not saying that that's how it always works, right? But we don't need a le- an evolutionary explanation to understand why a mother and child love mm-hmm. each other. Mm-hmm. But he, that was his understand. Like, why would that? Why would love like this, which is a love like no other love? So, Nick, you're not a parent yet, mm-hmm. but hopefully, ladies. <laughs> In the next, in you're, you're always you're always find a way to shoehorn that in. Yeah, there. <laughs> we're gonna change that. Um, But it really, I mean, for all of you out there that are parents, I'm preaching to the choir. For those of you that aren't, um, it's not that you can't experience like a really, really strong love connection to nieces and nephews or like people that you kind of pseudo adopt. Mm -hmm. There is, however nothing that comes close to the emotional experience of having a child. And I would say that like a biological child or a child through adoption, Mm -hmm. because the role of mother and father, child Mm -hmm. and parent is a sacred and holy role that God specifically parses out Mm -hmm. to be experienced in that unique way. Mm -hmm. And there just isn't anything that comes close. So, so, Bowlby, Freud, Darwin, everybody that observes God's world will observe this to be true about parents and children Mm -hmm. generally for the most part. Um, But they've got to explain that as Mm -hmm. developing because it will help aid survival from an evolutionary standpoint. What encourages me about God's design, even holistically, even about other topics, is that observation is very important. Yes. And then bringing it back to a correct presupposition that would give you, you know, a sound, a, what we would call epistemology in observance um, is 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 powerful. So in the beginning, God created. Now I can observe. Right. Evolutionary theory. You can't really definitively know what it, you're observing. It was, in the right. First it was place. random chaos. So how do we make sense of right. random chaos? So even when they're observing this, they can't escape God's truth. Right. And that's how I view it. So, 
No, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. They they're like sometimes they even get really close to right in their in the way they explain right. it. So observation times, is very powerful. Right. Yeah. And other times they get real far, real far yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's John Bowlby in a nutshell. So he, like I said, he was a psychoanalyst in the 1950s. <clears throat> in the 1970s, along comes Mary Ainsworth. Mm. Um, who is also very interested in attachment. So this is, um, if you've taken a psych 101 class mm-hmm. uh, or f- it further, if you've ever done any research, even just done like a major psych paper on any of this, you might be familiar with her. Her experiment is an extremely famous one. I remember her even coming up in sociological studies. Oh, yeah. As well, so so yeah. this is also, this, her study kind of, mm-hmm pervades through all related subdisciplines yeah, yeah. anthropology yeah. right sociology psychology yeah all, all, always going to learn <clears throat> about answer so she was a psychologist in the 70s and she expanded on bowlby's work in the now famous strange situation study um we have so many notes to link to this for you guys so if you're interested in any of the articles or um Actually, I guess I can I can let you know the the textbooks I was working out of, but those might be harder for you to come by. Would you say uh, back then, um, more than the sixties and seventies, uh, psychology was more of a male domain? Oh gosh, yes. So she was kind of an outlier um, in this time. Well, you so you definitely still had the odd women. Um, that might be an interesting episode, mm-hmm. like just the because now it's dominated by females, so right? Well, ther- no therapy, it. right? Yeah. So, yeah. like clinical psychology is absolutely dominated yeah. by fem- the PhD females. guys there. Um, yeah. but yes, at that point in time, it was do- it was male dominated for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that might be an interesting episode yes, to just is. talk about the oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the progression of that and the influence. And, so, it, yeah, women have always been interested in sure, these yeah. topics, mm-hmm. right? But you definitely and it I mean it makes sense in terms of like you had to have access to education, mm-hmm. right? Not and not just access like entrance, but you had to have money. Mm-hmm. Not the same kind of money you need these mm-hmm. days, but money. Um so yeah, it was definitely a male dominated mm-hmm. situation. A strange situation. Yeah, it was a hard science back then. <laughs> Males viewed it that way. So. Um, okay, so if, if you guys are curious about this study more, after we talk about it a little bit, you can look it up. And you can just Google Mary Ainsworth strange situation and you'll see more about it. But um, basically the study involved observing children between the ages of 12 and 18 months responding to a situation in which they were briefly left alone and then reunited with their mother. Yeah. Okay. So the uh, strange situation situation assessment followed this basic sequence. Mm -hmm. Okay. One, the parent and child are alone in a room. Two, the child explores the room with parental supervision. So there would be, I think, a few toys, specific toys that they didn't change, right? They, like, they controlled that from each pair. Um, uh, the child is exploring while the parent is in the room. Then, three, a stranger enters the room, talks to the parent, and then approaches the child. Mm-hmm. After that, the parent, so four, quietly leaves the room. And then the parent returns five and comforts the child. So this is the sequence of events that would take place within this study. So um, it w- so in observing the 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 parent and the child through this set of steps, the the set of things happening in the situation, 
Um, she concluded that there were three major styles of attachment. Mm-hmm. Okay, secure attachment, ambivalent insecure attachment, and avoidant insecure attachment. So there have been lots and lots of studies since that time that have replicated the observable results and mm-hmm. data that Ainsworth first kind of collected and then mm-hmm. categorized for us. <clears throat> so after her research, more groundbreaking research, in the 1980s, psychologists Cindy Hazen and Philip Shaver or Shaver postulated that adults tended to replicate patterns of behavior in interpersonal relationship styles Mm. to those experienced and learned during early parent childhood attachment relationships. Mm. So we see the kind of the full arc here of what happens in childhood matters and it influences how we behave as adults. If that makes sense. Um, What's so interesting. It's like saying this stuff out loud. It's like, well, duh. And, and for thousands of years, people have been operating under the assumption that the way that you treat your children matters. Everybody's thinking about the codependent friend right now. Like, oh, (laughs) got it. (laughs) Neglect. (laughs) Um, So, and I think we'll, we'll talk about this more because in all of, in all of the wisdom literature, all of the like scripture that we have, and I'm, my brain always pulls me to Proverbs, just like I know it did for Nick. Um, God is so clear about the importance of this relationship Mm -hmm. um, and what will happen, like the consequences of an attentive father, Mm -hmm. an inattentive father, a harsh father. And, Mm -hmm. and so people have always understood that this was important, but it wasn't until the like fifties, 60s, 70s, 80s that we started like really as a science categorizing this stuff and giving it names. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's just really interesting to me. Um, so what is an, what is an attachment? Okay. So we had that kind of general Bulby, uh, description, right? It, It, the psychological connectedness between people, um, Specifically, when we're talking about like infantile attachment, it's the emotional bond that exists between an infant and their primary caregivers, which in most cases is usually their parents. Okay. Um, It occurs gradually. It develops gradually over the first year of life. And that's primary attachment. We have attachment relationships our entire life, but we're talking about the blueprint Mm. okay that's like very important first attachment relationships they gradually develop over the first year of life Mm -hmm. following birth and i think there we could easily make an argument now with all of the technology technology that we have to monitor like in utero Mm -hmm. babies that haven't been born yet there's attachment absolutely happening there oh yeah they know their like mother's heartbeat Mm -hmm. um smell all of like your your senses are fully processing and working when you are in utero up into certain points of development so anyway that's a that's another discussion but we're gonna we're gonna talk about it as occurring from birth over the first year Mm -hmm. 
So the process of attachment begins as caregivers, usually parents, respond to an infant's signals, like, for example, crying of hunger or other distress, Mm -hmm. like wet, tired, hungry. As parents respond to these signals, the infants learn or the infant learns that their needs will or will not be met consistent, mm-hmm. consistently. Like every time I cry, does my mom come and help me? Mm-hmm. Do I get fed? Do I get changed mm-hmm. warm? Right. Do I get put to sleep? What happens when I'm signaling that I need something? Mm-hmm. So as a result of that, the child develops expectations about adult behavior relative to their need signals. Mm -hmm. Are you tracking? It all makes sense. Okay. Sometimes I still act like that. (laughs) (laughs) Temper tantrum. Um, So at first, infants tend to be, and this is all, this has all been studied and there's lots of documented evidence about this, but at first infants tend to be relatively indiscriminate over who is meeting their need. Mm -hmm. So like dad can do it. Mom could do it. Big brother could do it. Mm -hmm. Grandma, cousin, Mm -hmm. they could do it. As long as they get it. As long as they get it. But gradually that they begin to respond differently to familiar versus unfamiliar people. Mm -hmm. And unfamiliar can just mean like not as familiar as the primary caregivers. It doesn't mean that grandma's a stranger. She's just not the one doing it most of the time. Right. So as development progresses, so usually between six and seven months, infants begin to engage in active attempts to maintain contact with familiar people, usually Mm -hmm. parents, and they become upset when they're separated Mm -hmm. from them. Okay. So by the end of the first year, the attachment figure is the infant's main source of comfort and is used as a secure base from which the infant ventures out to explore the world. Mm -hmm. Just makes sense. I feel like, you know, we're describing things that people observe Mm -hmm. a lot. So the key, this is a very general statement. We're going to get more specific here as we go on, but the key to the formation of secure emotional attachment between the infant and caregivers is the ability of the caregiver to respond sensitively and promptly to the infant's signals of distress. Mm. It's simple. Right? Like it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, I think when you, when you start applying that idea or that truth, Mm. not like a truth of scripture, right? But that truth, that like observational, like that observational truth that we are um, making based on God's revelation to us through nature and observation it starts to make sense why kids that are raised in orphanages, especially from birth, have attachment issues, yeah. right? Because they're this, and I'm not even like talking about people that would be intentionally malicious. Mm-hmm. I mean, like uh, nun- nunneries that run orphanages, but mm-hmm. there are 10 nuns and 100 babies. Yeah. And how that ratio means that you're going to wait. You're not going to be held every time you cry. You're not going to be fed every time you you cry. You're not going to get your diaper changed every time you wet it. I remember when Toby was first born, we went, (laughs) that kid didn't sit in like a pee or poop butt for Mm -hmm. longer than like 25 seconds. Mm -hmm. Like as soon as that, as soon as we were catching it. Yeah. um, I even remember James and I joking like, okay. 
we probably didn't need to change his diaper (laughs) (laughs) that fast. It's just not you. It's not the same in a situation where you don't have enough hands. Right. right? And this is by mere observance on your part, too, as well. Okay, How does he acclimate? What uh, should he expect when he grows up, too, as well? You know, and a lot of people that grow up in the orphanages, yeah, they have maybe sometimes trust issues, but they're also could have very patient virtue um, uh, as well um, and not think everything is going to be handed to them or sometimes not at all, which is kind of well, uh, so destructive. Uh, in, in, I think in that case. that develops more later, like this mm-hmm. kind of interaction. So like the, because th- you're, you need to remember when we're talking about infants, they do not have language. Mm-hmm. They don't have thoughts the same way that you and I do mm-hmm. everything that we our entire lives are structured around language. Mm-hmm. Any dream we have is structured around language, mm-hmm. understanding, being able to yeah. communicate and what to receive know. communication. Yeah. Sure. So like a newborn infant just knows that they don't feel good. They yeah. don't know I'm hungry. Mm-hmm. They don't know I'm wet. They don't mm-hmm. know I'm cold. It's just raw impulses they, or right. raw feelings. So yeah. like I don't, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. I need help. So mm-hmm. that's what you're like. The, the attachment is occurring as the caregiver comes and takes away what's causing distress, mm-hmm. fixes what's distressful. Mm-hmm. So a child is not learn like a, an infant is not learning patience here. Mm-hmm. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. They're they don't under they don't have like the brain development, the mm-hmm. soul development yet to understand any of that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, there just aren't enough people here to feed me. There's none of that is occurring. Mm-hmm. So if a child learns patience because they are with a group of another 99 kids as like mm-hmm. a six or seven year old, yeah. that's different. That's different. Totally different. Yeah. This is, I have a need that's not being met mm-hmm. or it is being met. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> this is another kind of broad statement before we get into more specifics, but mothers who are sensitive to their infants cues and respond uh, and are responsive across a range of situations, including feeding, crying, play, the provision of opportunities to explore. They foster the development of a secure attachment relationship Mm. versus mothers who respond to their infants abruptly who are unresponsive or who pace their behavior to their own needs and schedules, these mothers foster the development of an anxious or ambivalent attachment, Mm. which is characterized by excessive anger, clinging, and avoidance behaviors on the part of the infant. Mm. Okay. So these are what Bowlby kind of, this next part here is what Bowlby outlined as main characteristics of attachment. So there are four of them. It's so interesting that like in each major section of this, there are four, like four seems like a good number for some reason. Mm -hmm. So one is proximity maintenance. So the desire to be near the people who we are attached to. So again, this is characteristics of attachment that we are evaluating to decide what kind of attachment someone has. Mm -hmm. So proximity maintenance does the child have the desire to be near the people that they are supposed to be attached to or they are attached to? Two, safe haven. Returning to the attachment figure for comfort and safety in the face of fear or threat. Three, secure base. The attachment figure acts as a base of security from which the child can explore the surrounding environment. Mm -hmm. Right? Mom's here, and I know she's here, so I can go 
like she is watching me and I can go explore. Four is separation distress, anxiety that occurs in the absence of the attachment figure. So you can see where Mary Ainsworth was taking her strange situation and like what components of attachment she was evaluating, Mm -hmm. right? In those like five steps and why that experiment shed light into attachment, right? Right. As a construct. So these days we actually have four main attachment styles. Okay. So Mary Ainsworth, Ainsworth described three. We're currently operating with four. Mm -hmm. So the first is secure. The second is ambivalent, Mm -hmm. anxious, ambivalent. The third is avoidant or anxious avoidant. And then the fourth is disorganized attachment. So we're going to go through all types of that. You ready? Yeah, I'm thinking. You hold it on to your seat. I keep thinking of um, the first day of kindergarten, crying and screaming, watching my parents. Oh, leave! Leave! Oh, that's so sad. Because I've always been around them up until (laughs) that point, and then they're leaving me somewhere. And they're leaving me somewhere. I remember that. Does your mommy call you Nikki? Uh, No. Did Uh, anyone ever call you Nikki? Yeah, maybe as a nickname or something like goofy at the time, but no. Little baby Nick. If I'm in trouble, it's Nicholas and usually my middle name, which is Ryan. Um, and then uh, Ryan. I loved Scooby-Doo when I was growing up. So she, you know, Scooby is a, is another a, nickname. A, yeah. And mm-hmm. she f- says that a lot still. So, yeah, yeah. Scoob. Yeah. Scoob. Say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that <laughs> so much. You need a tattoo that says Scooby. Yeah, I probably will. Okay, so we're going to go over secure attachment first. Um, So just in case anyone is unclear at this point, this is the attachment we're aiming for. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's got a it's got a nice ring to it. Secure attachment. So children who are securely attached generally become visibly upset when their caregivers leave and are happy when their parents return. Again, we're talking about. 12 to 18 months was the like primary focal point of study Mm -hmm. here. This doesn't mean that because your five-year-old doesn't wail hysterically every time you leave that he's not securely attached. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're saying. We all, I also want to add the caveat in that there are other things, developmental issues that can impact this. So Mm -hmm. for example, autism spectrum, which in our, the second half of, um, this season. So much, much later this year, we're going to do an episode, um, where we just kind of start tackling autism as a topic. Um, we'll talk more about this in detail, but it is a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder Mm -hmm. that focuses around communication and you won't, you, so there are instances where you can't use whether or not the child becomes upset and then is immediately comforted as the only indicator around attachment. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the caveat that I'm going to use, but for the average population, right? This is something that we can expect during this developmental stage, Mm -hmm. right? 12 to 18 months up to three. Um, there's a, the babies are fit. Like they are, an upset that happens when their secure base, their parent leaves, and then they are immediately relieved when Mm. the parent returns. Okay. When frightened, securely attached children will seek comfort from their parent or caregiver, which, right? I still do. (laughs) I do. I do that too. Sometimes you just need your mom. (laughs) Like that's just the truth. Okay. 
So <clears throat> securely attached children readily accept contact that's initiated by a parent and they greet a parent's return with positive behavior. While these children can be comforted to some extent by other people in the absence of a parent or caregiver, they clearly prefer parents to strangers. Uh, parents of securely attached children tend to play more with their kids. Mm -hmm. Additionally, these parents react more quickly to their children's knees, needs, not knees, and are generally more responsive to their children than the parents of insecurely attached mm -hmm. kids. <clears throat> Studies have shown that securely attached children are more empathetic during later stages of childhood. These children are also described as less disruptive, less aggressive, and more mature than children with ambivalent or avoidant attachment styles. Mm. So you can start to see why this is a really important discussion for parenting, mm. right? Like your parenting begins the minute that you are pregnant. Yep. Always it matters. Yeah. Okay. So... Um, Which is something that I'll never have. What? You know, I mean, that feeling, right? You know, obviously, because I can't become pregnant. Oh, oh, like oh, that. oh. But I heard of the father, <laughs> the, initial, like, the initial the uh, reaction like that, like mother and child, like in utero, all that comes when the baby's born and the father looks right at the, the, the child. Yes, I think, yes. I also, And then immediately you go, all right. Well, and I think some attachment happens to like when the dad can see like mm -hmm. when the mommy starts looking pregnant sure, when they can sure. feel the baby move it yeah. so but i do think that a, a, a huge part of the attachment for dads happens right when the baby yeah. is born because mm -hmm. it's just not the same it's not the same no and that's okay that's how god designed it so okay so securely attached children as children they separate from the parent they seek comfort from the parent when frightened they greet the return of a parent with positive emotions and they prefer parents to strangers. It's kind of a summary as adults, securely attached kids. Now adults have trusting lasting relationships. They tend to have good self-esteem. They share feelings with partners and friends and they seek out social support. Hmm. So while forming a secure attachment with caregivers is normal and expected, we're going to hazen and shaver Shaver, our psychologist from the 80s, noted it doesn't always happen. So researchers have found a number of different factors that contribute to development or lack thereof of secure attachment. And in particular, like we've said a few times already, a mother's responsiveness to the infant's needs during that first year of life is a critical influencing factor. Mothers who respond inconsistently or who interfere with a child's activities tend to produce infants who explore less, cry more, and are more anxious. Mm. Mothers who con uh, consistently reject or ignore their infants' needs tend to produce children who try to avoid contact. Mm. So in Hazen and Shaver's, uh, in their classic study, about 56% of respondents identified themselves as securely attached. Mm. Um, where 25% identified as avoidant and then another 19 is ambivalent anxious. So just to give you guys some prevalency information there. Um, I think, yeah, to summarize, the goal is secure attachment. That This is what we want. Numero uno is mm -hmm. the one we want. Okay, so now we're going to move into ambivalent attachment. So some of the characteristics of children who are ambivalent, ambivalent anxious, um, who have ambivalent anxious attachment, um, they tend to be extremely suspicious of strangers. 
They display considerable distress when separated from a parent or caregiver, but they do not seem reassured or comforted by the parent's return. Mm. In some cases, a child may passively reject the parent by refusing comfort or may openly display aggression towards the parent. Mm. So according to some older research, ambivalent attachment is relatively uncommon with only 7 to 15% of infants in the U.S. displaying the attachment style again we're going to link research for you guys if you're um well we'll link it and you can look at it if you're interested so in review of ambivalent attachment literature psychologists cassidy in berlin also found that observational research consistently links ambivalent insecure attachment to low maternal availability mm-hmm. As these children grow older, teachers often often describe them as clingy and over-dependent, okay? So as children, ambivalent attachment, uh, uh, ambivalent attachment may lead them to be very wary of strangers, become greatly distressed when parents leave, and they are not confident when parents return. As adults, they are very reluctant to become close with others. They worry about their partner not loving them. If this isn't codependency, well, and they become very distraught when relationships end. Mm. We all know people, right? I mean, not that having distress when a relationship ends isn't normal, but it's like, this is like the end of the world. I'll never be okay. Mm. Right. And as Christians, we would talk about that as like idolizing the relationship. See a lot of teenagers act like that. Right. Yeah. Mm hmm. So um, Cassidy and Berlin described another pathological pattern here where ambivalently attached adults cling to young children as a source of security, which, uh, guys, this is just codependency. It's like written. This is the, this is the origin story of codependency right, right here. Ah. <laughs> so. I see those traits in myself. What? I wouldn't say holistically. But, uh, but yeah, I see those traits in myself. I struggled for many, many, many years um, with uh, uh, the thought of people loving me or I couldn't get into relationships because I'll just, I'll, I'll wear out my welcome kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, so. Until I, w- I was proven otherwise. But I want yeah. to like also make this clear. We're talking about like a blueprint here. Sure. Yeah. This doesn't mean that r- relationships later on in life don't impact how we sure. attach romantically to people sure. or in friendships, mm-hmm. um, especially relational trauma that happens later can influence all mm-hmm. of this too. It, mm-hmm. So you might have a really secure attachment as a child mm-hmm. and go through some crap Mm-hmm. Right. As a teenager and a mm-hmm. young adult or even even a grown adult. And then all of that changes. Right. So this is not an exhaustive like if you if you are securely attached, if you are like ambivalently attached, then you'll this is how you will always act in mm-hmm. relationships. This is right. just a general blueprint mm-hmm. for what we have observed in people mm-hmm. based on attachment styles. Right. So so anxious ambivalent attachment is typically caused by inconsistency from a caregiver. On one hand, a caregiver may have been attentive to a child's cues, but on the other, they may have been rejecting or punitive towards them. Mm. For example, perhaps when the baby cries for affection, the caregiver on some occasions runs to cater to their need, but on other occasions feels like it's best for them to self-soothe, so they ignore their cries. 
This kind of behavior might mean that the child starts to see their caregiver's actions as unpredictable. Again, we're talking about during infancy. Mm. We're not talking about a three-year-old throwing a tantrum. Right. Right. This is a baby whose only way of communicating is through crying. Right. Um, And being left to cry Mm -hmm. until they stop crying, even though the need hasn't been met. Right. Okay. So as a result of this, the child will begin to feel conflicted about how their caregiver, how their caregiver will respond. Right. So there's a a number of possible reasons why parents of children with ambivalent attachment act the way they do. One being uh, continuing a pattern of behavior stemming from an anxious attachment style. Mm -hmm. So as a recap, parents of ambivalent children tend to be inconsistent and unpredictable in how they respond to their child's needs. Mm -hmm. They're more aware of their own needs than they are of those of their child because they likely didn't receive, well, this is, maybe they didn't receive the affection, the consistent like response that they had needed as a kid. Um, they are unreliable in the eyes of their child and loving and affectionate on some occasions, but very punitive on others again during infancy. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really important point that we'll talk more about when we get, actually get to the parenting styles, but discipline should never be done in anger mm-hmm. and it should only be done in love mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. And when you are disciplining in anger, that is how the experience comes across as just punitive right. and rejecting, right? So, putting that out there in the, putting that out there into our conversational ether. All right, so that is an ambivalent attachment, and now we're going to talk about avoidant attachment. So, these character the characteristics characteristics of avoidant attachment, avoidantly attached children. These kids tend to avoid parents and caregivers altogether. The avoidance becomes particularly pronounced after periods of absence. So like dad only shows up at Christmas. Yeah. Okay. That's the expectation. These children might not reject attention from a parent, but neither do they seek it out or seek out comfort or contact with a parent. They show no preference between a parent and a complete stranger. Mm. Ugh, my heart. Yeah. My heart. Okay. So as children, kids may avoid parents. They don't seek comfort from parents or contact. And they show little or no preference for parents over strangers. As adults, they may have problems with intimacy. They may invest very little emotion in social and romantic relationships, and they are unwilling or unable to share thoughts or feelings with others. The thoughts and feelings, is that because they fear being rejected or not taken seriously or because they don't have the thoughts or feelings? It's not, I don't think it's because they don't exist. I think you like they learned that those feelings are risky. Okay. Right. As there you go. That they're going to be disappointed. They so we just don't So risk. whatever consequence you can't receive, I don't want anything <clears throat> to do with it. Right. How does insecure attachment develop in, ch- in childhood? Okay. When a child perceives that their basic emotional, their basic like physical and emotional needs are not met, they will have a hard time trusting people. Social bonds might be perceived by such children as not safe or stable. This is how a child forms an insecure attachment. Mm -hmm. Let's get, um, 
let's see. Okay, so the development of uh, an anxious, anxious avoidant attachment style in a child has a lot to do with the emotional availability of their caregivers. Mm. The caregivers do not necessarily neglect the child in general. They are present. Nevertheless, they tend to avoid the display of emotion and intimacy and are often misattuned to the child's emotional needs. Such caregivers are reserved and seem to back off when the child reaches out for support, reassurance, and affection. Mm. The caregivers are likely to become more distant as the situation gets more emotionally dense. They might become overwhelmed and want to get out. This is when their unavailability would be most evident. The child expresses a need for closeness, but instead of receiving it, they perceive that the door is shut in their face. Mm. Parents whose children become avoidant might not only avoid a sp- not only avoid expressing their own feelings, they might also disapprove of and not tolerate any notable display of emotions from other children Mm -hmm. or from their own children, regardless of whether it is negative sadness or fear or positive excitement and joy. Mm -hmm. When such display of emotions occurs, caregivers can become angry and try to disrupt the child's behavior by telling the child to toughen up. The parent expects the young child to behave independent, serious, and reserved. Being raised in such an environment is likely to cause an avoidant attachment style. Most often, the caregivers have this attachment style themselves. Since the parent was raised that way, they pass it on unintentionally to the next generation. So adults with the avoidant attachment style seem to be pretty happy about who they are and where they are. They might be very social, easygoing, and fun to be around. In addition, these individuals might have a lot of friends and or sexual partners. Generally speaking, they are not alone or lonely. Avoidant adults tend to be independent. Their self-esteem is high, and they do not rely on others for reassurance or emotional support. So these guys don't just don't tend to have like truly intimate relationships. Their relationships are very superficial, mm. but they don't seem to be very upset about it is what this research is mm. saying. Okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting that they don't seem to be very but you wouldn't like if you because there's no longing there's no you they weren't imputed with that wisdom to say that relationships are important they don't get anything out of the intimacy it's only a risk so they just don't take the risk Mm -hmm. right all right guys we are pushing through and you're still hanging with us at over an hour so you're doing good Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're gonna move to the fourth attachment style right now which is disorganized attachment So, um, these kids lack a clear attachment behavior or style in general. Mm -hmm. Their actions and responses to caregivers are often a mix of behaviors, including avoidance and resistance. They're often described as displaying dazed behavior, sometimes seeming either confused or apprehensive in the presence of a caregiver. So, um... At age one, they might show what I just described, that kind of dazed, confused, apprehensive around caregivers kind of behavior. And by age six, these kids might be taking on a parental role themselves. Hmm. Some children might act as a caregiver towards the parent. So you can kind of see what parenting parenting style, right, Mm -hmm. would lead to that if your six-year-old has to be the mom yeah just pretty much an unresponsive <laughs> well yeah just <laughs> oh <Neglectful. my> goodness. <clears throat> research suggests that 
inconsistent behavior on the part of parents might be a contributing factor to this attachment style. Parents who act as figures of both fear and reassurance to a child contribute to disorganized attachment because the child feels both comforted and frightened by the parent confusion results. Mm. Adults with a disorganized attachment style also exhibit a confusing mix of anxious and avoidant behaviors and relationships. They have a strong need for a close connection with a romantic partner, yet struggle to open up and be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. People with a disorganized style may seek out a loving relationship and then suddenly push the other person away. They often sabotage their relationships and have a hard time trusting their partners. The style is often associated with unhealthy relationships marked by toxicity, clinginess, poor communication, and even abuse. Yikes. So <clears throat> not, not the best, right? Definitely not what we're going for. So what causes disorganized attachment? Um, <clears throat> Caregivers showing highly contrasting behavior, which is inconsistent and unpredictable. The child may start fearing his or for his or her own safety. The child does not know what to expect, nor does the child know when the caregiver will meet their needs, if at all. Another reason for fear in the child um, is having or witnessing a traumatic experience that involves the attachment figure. For instance, the caregiver abuses the child verbally, physically, or sexually, or the child witnesses the caregiver abuse someone else. Either way, the child no longer trusts the caregiver. The child realizes that they cannot rely on the caregiver to meet their physical or emotional needs. The caregivers who should be acting as a source of safety are not only unreliable, but they are causing fear. Children with a disorganized attachment style are not able to truly adapt to the caregiver's behavior as they never know what will be coming next. Mm. Such children lack coherence in their own behavior towards the caregivers. They might seek closeness, but at the same time reject the caregiver's proximity and distance, um, dis distance themselves due to fear. So what do relationships with disorganized adults look like? Adults with this attachment style lack, um, well, they lack truly healthy adult relationships. On one hand, they want to belong and they want to be loved and they want to love, while on the other hand, they're afraid to let anyone in. I love, uh, <laughs> we mentioned love like three times uh, in there. I love how the parenting style here or, or just the relationships between mom, dad, and child allows you to have relationships with um, uh, other people and how you're going to deal with those. I think about the law of God. The law of God is love God, love neighbor. The relationship you have with God reflects the relationship you're going to have with others. The relationship you have with your parents reflects the relationship. This is intricately designed inside the character and substance and nature of God, which the law is the character and substance and nature of God. Right. Isn't, it's isn't that so intricately it's, woven wow, together? You know, I just know. to think about that. And, and I was already thinking about that um, as you were describing that. And then boom, you hit the, the word love, 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 love <laughs> like right. three times. And I'm like, wow, it's the, the law of God is love, love God, love neighbor. And Boom. It, re it certainly reflects our interpersonal relationships when we love God. Oh my gosh, goodness! And so it the, does. the parents well, are designed to reflect that thing. Well, and I think thing. we are very likely to project the like sin, and it's almost like how are we raising our children so that we can love our neighbor properly? 
Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> that is a real thing, yeah. right? Like yeah. how unloving to neighbor is it to raise a child that will be abusive to them? Yeah, and dismissive. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, or just not have any relationships with all. So that's like why when I hear people go, I, I, I saw a shirt the other day at the gym that says, I hate people. And I go, wow. Uh, I, I know, think that's a sentiment. Like it's, that's a popular thing to say. Yeah, it's a, and I don't know this guy's life, but I'm like, this shows you the proper, you know, the nature of the culture. And when you look at the statistics of how, you know, the divorce or lack of fathers or lack of mothers or whatever like that, I'm like, it's just not surprising that you see that more right. and more nowadays. Right. So. And so not that you need that to hate God because we're born sure, haters of sure. God, but we, in the same way, I'm, I'm talking about a categorical distinction. Here. It's yeah. reciprocal sort of in that we project our own experiences of fallible relationships onto God, the father wow. all the time. Yeah. Like we really do. We yeah. confuse the relationships that we have with knowest, our own parents. Knowest or unbeknownst. Oh yeah. <laughs> we I think it. a lot yeah. of the time it's very unconscious. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That so, is just, that's <clears throat> profound to me. That's all. <laughs> it is <laughs> profound. Um, so these adults, this adults with a disorganized attachment, they expect and are waiting for the rejection, disappointment and hurt to come in their perception. It is inevitable. Okay. Mm. They don't, they do not reject emotional intimacy. They are very afraid of it and they self sabotage. Right. So adults with disorganized attachment continue to view the attachment figure once their caregiver and now their partner as unpredictable. So they're attaching to their spouse or their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, these people also tend to have a really negative view of both themselves and others, Mm -hmm. which is speaks right to your, I hate people shirt guy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I hate to profile the guy, but when I saw him and, uh, he was dressed like a, like a grunge rocker back in the nineties and he drove a Jeep with infinite bumper stickers that had heinous sayings on it. So. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. This is anti society. This is the product of the 90s here. How old did the guy look? About my age. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a little older. Well, <clears throat> 35, so. 36, 37. Yeah. So, in a nutshell, uh, securely attached people tend to believe that romantic love is enduring. Ambival- ambivalently attached people report falling in love often. Mm-hmm. Avoidant attached people describe love as rare and temporary and disorganized attached people want love, but know it's not possible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I love the, how it says, no, it's not possible. I mean, goodness it's like gracious. it's resolved in your heart. And when you get that kind of resolve in your heart, it's very good, hard oh, yeah. to get out of it. Yeah. So. Oh, yes, yeah. definitely. It really uh, is. Resolve is a powerful thing. And when you have a, a wrongful <laughs> uh, resolution, um, Mm-hmm. Um, especially because I feel like 95 plus percent of the time you have no idea what's governing any of that. Right. Even if it wasn't mm-hmm. born here, mm-hmm. like in our, in your origin, your, your family of origin, caregivers of origin, and, and but it developed later because you were like hurt, really yeah. hurt in a relationship, a marriage when friendship you, you know i'm thinking of the, the typical Sorry. young adult here that i've observed just by spending time in coffee shops you know they all have i i, I observe a lot <laughs> as you can tell and i read a lot and I, I i read people a lot and even what they wear and what they say 
And, um, you know, I, I will see uh, a shirt that says self-care and it's got letters like I'm this, I'm that, I, I'm proactive, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that, I'm that. And usually when you have to actually list a resume for everybody to say that, that proves that you're either struggling with those things or not those things, usually the opposite. But I, 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 I look at people and it's a completely self-centered, egocentric yeah. Every sentence starts with the letter I, you know what I mean? And I'm not t necessarily talking about narcissism. I, I just want to know what imputed that into them. And it's really, I'm like, I hear all musics, uh, all songs, especially rap songs nowadays. And they always say something like, um, watch me shine, watch me do this, watch me that. Or they told me I can't do it. So I went out and did it. And I'm like, who? <laughs> and then I, I, and then like, and then I look at that and I go, Who's telling you you can't do something? Uh -huh. And I go, I bet you lived in an environment where you were allowed to do everything. Mm -hmm. It's you who's telling you you can't do something. Mm -hmm. And so you're speaking it out loud and blaming other people. And I'm like, wow, that is actually a lack of discipline growing up. And, like, the only time and I, I see that in myself. I'm not even <laughs> chastising just this generation. <laughs> the only time I ever really hear like popular rap is when I'm with my best friend and sh and I'm and I'm just like oh this is hideous you don't got as much as I do cause it's just you can't avoid it it's yeah. just there well you know? sometimes <laughs> it's at the gym but yeah. it's mostly at the gym but I but at the, actually my gym and this is just because this has been my experience so far and I'm not there every single day so I don't know actually what the majority but it's like 90s rap like 90s and well, early I, 2000s see, and I love me 90s too rap I, it's like really 2000s. nostalgic yeah. for yes. me all right, so anyways, we, well, little deviation, but I think it proves that what I was, whatever we're talking about here, I just had to interject with that. Right. So now we're going to talk about the different parenting styles. We're finally to the title of our episode, right? Mm -hmm. To our main topic. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've really set the stage, um, so like I said before, there's kind of a consensus around four major parenting styles. Mm -hmm. So those parenting styles are authoritarian, mm -hmm. authoritative, mm -hmm. permissive, and uninvolved. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they kind of speak to themselves. I think it's just really important that we, we're going to go through all of them, but I want to, to distinguish between authoritarian and authoritative. Yeah. Okay. So when we say authoritarian, I want you to think like totalitarian yeah. mm -hmm. dictator. Mm -hmm. Okay. So <clears throat> do any of these statements sound like you? This is the way this article started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, you, I, I love that. Does they, any of this sound like you? Yeah. Do uh, it's unfair. Do, do it you really believe is. kids should be seen and not heard? Um, this is completely like a squirrel ADHD moment. But, yeah. And for any Arrested Development fans out there, there's a whole like subplot storyline about Buster Bluth, one of the kids who. Yeah. I f I'm totally forgetting the name of the academy, but their like tagline is "Children should be." neither seen nor heard <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah hilarious okay mm -hmm. <clears throat> so you be uh, believe kids should be seen and not heard when it comes to rules you believe it's my way or the highway you don't take your child's feelings into consideration at all Okay. Mm -hmm. So if any of those ring true, you might be an authoritarian parent. I'm thinking of a, a line from the movie Funny People, Adam Sandler. He's dating this girl with a kid and they sat down and watched a home video of her daughter uh, doing a performance of the play Cats. 
Oh, gosh. And then they got in a fight at the end. She goes, you didn't even cry when you saw Alice, you know, uh, do cats. Oh. She goes, I don't know. I saw it at Broadway one time. It wasn't as good as that. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. It's so funny, though. Oh, man. I am not a fan. I love musicals. Yeah. Like cats is horrible. Theater is totally my jam, but I cannot can't cats. stomach it. Or lipstick or hairspray. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I would sit through hairspray. I know you would. I, would I know sit it's through total, cats. It's a total chick play. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So um it's interesting too, like, is it my way or the highway? To some extent, <laughs> um, there are, I think, areas of parenting where you absolutely have to have that standard. Mm. Like, this is the expectation. You can be upset about the difference between an authoritarian and an, uh, and an authoritative parent would be. You can be upset, but I still expect you to to manage and control your feelings. And if you're being sinful, to repent, right? And to correct your behavior. Um, but there are definitely, like, rules, expectations that are non-negotiable mm -hmm. okay so that by itself doesn't make you an authoritarian parent the idea is like you never you decide what's like what is the law mm -hmm. it's not like you're deciding god's law is law mm -hmm. you're deciding the law and no one can touch that right right um <clears throat> yeah not to quote a movie line again but i'm going to um, I think of the movie uh, Donnie Brasco with Al Pacino and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio when he's talking about the nature of a, a wise guy. I've never seen that. Oh, I love it. Uh, it's a mafia movie, so why not, right? I've mentioned that on this <laughs> on this show a lot. But he's talking about the nature of a wise guy, like a mafioso guy, right? Wise guy. And he goes, a wise guy is always right, even when he's wrong. He's right. And that's an authoritative or authoritarian style. Dick wise guy dictator. is always right. when he's Even when he's wrong, he's right. And some parents act like that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. That is not... Never apologizing, always right. No, no, yeah. no, no. Mm -hmm. Bad, guys. Mm -hmm. How do your kids learn to apologize and take responsibility for their yeah. behavior if you're but not... But then there's the opposite of where, oh, man, I am right about the situation, but I don't want my kid to uh, you know, be discouraged, so I'm going to let him have it, or right. I'm going to let him have what he wants kind right. of thing. Um, and that's <laughs> equally as dangerous. <laughs> totally. <laughs> We're looking for the middle ground here. Mm -hmm. Okay, so authoritarian parents... Okay, they're famous for saying things like, because I said so, when a child questions the reasons behind a rule. They are not interested in negotiating, and their focus is on obedience. They also don't allow kids to get involved in problem-solving challenges or obstacles. Instead, they make the rules and enforce the conse consequences with little regard for a child's opinion or feelings. Mm. Authoritarian parents may use punishments instead of discipline. So rather than teach a child how to make better choices, they're invested in making kids feel sorry for their mistakes. Children who grow up with strict authoritarian parents tend to follow rules much of the time, but their obedience comes at a price. Mm. Children of authoritarian parents are at a higher risk of developing self-esteem problems because their opinions aren't valued. Mm. They may also become hostile or aggressive. Rather than think about how to do things better in the future, they often focus on the anger they feel towards their parent or themselves for not living up to parental expectations. Mm. Some authoritarian parents are often strict, their children may grow to become good since authoritarian, sorry, parents are often strict. Their children may grow to become good liars in an effort to avoid punishment. Mm. So 
I think the key here is that you teach your child to be a good rule follower, but you don't teach them how to think about rules. Mm-hmm. So blind obedience. So like if Toby is running into the street, I need mm-hmm. to know that if I say, Toby, stop, like he will stop and mm-hmm. listen to me mm-hmm. before I have to give some explanation about why I don't want him running into the street. Right. So what I'm not saying, what, what, n- especially what any Christian parent would not be saying here mm-hmm. is that there aren't certain circumstances where blind or not obedience is mm-hmm. necessary immediately without question. Yeah. <clears throat> and those instances, uh, when you go, Toby, stop, mm-hmm. you know, let's just say you're, you're not a parent that raises their voice a lot. And in that situation, the kid will respond because hell with the, I'm, Mom yeah. is doing something that she normally doesn't do. So that, this must be serious. That just happened the other day. And, then, and now I'm trying to remember. I can't tell you how many uh, uh, conversations that I've had with parents, especially uh, at the church that I grew up in, was talking to the pastor's wife. And she mentions that she goes, she yells, she goes, hey, stop, don't cross the street, mm-hmm. you know, like really loud because the child just <clears> ran <throat> into the street sure. as they were playing in the and yard. And the shock and awe of it stops them. And the daughter came back. She says, mom, you really scared me. She goes, you I needed me. you. To, I needed you to be scared. Right, at for this sure, point. I and needed you to break out of the weird yeah. trance you were in. The ex- explanation of the danger she was in came sure. afterwards. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that's also important, right? So, mm-hmm. and that there is a difference between expecting obedience with zero explanation about why the rule or why the boundary or limit has been set, mm-hmm. right? Um, especially as kids gets old, kids get older, teeny, like you actually want to be teaching your children how to think, not what to think, right. but how, how to, to think. think. And that's a great, I mean, we'll get into this, uh, a, a little later, a segue in what, how the Proverbs are presented mm-hmm. to us, especially within the first few. So, okay. Chapters so this, this is like being strict for the sake of being strict. I think, and we'll talk, you know, when we do this, so what of this? Christian parents need to have good boundaries and limits. And I think obedience, expecting obedience and expecting quick obedience. Mm-hmm. That's whenever Toby dawdles, like takes it, like, Toby, come here. And then he just keeps doing what he's doing. James or I will get up and like pull him to us and say like quick obedience, son. We expect mm-hmm. you to be quickly obedient, not... Not this one, two, three, and then I'm going to get mad. Mm -hmm. This, when I tell you to come to me, I expect you to do it quickly. Somebody in his age range doesn't need the same kind of explanation around that, right? As maybe a teenager would around a boundary or limit. Did you ever get that countdown to wrath? uh, Oh, totally. I totally. One, one, two. Yeah. yeah. But I don't. Because I would always wait to the three. Well, yeah. I'm not (laughs) teaching my son that it's okay for him to be disobedient until I get to three. Yeah. I want him to be quickly obedient. Right. So, um, and I think another two, and this is really a lot about the heart behind it. Okay. The countdown to wrath. I like that. that is, yeah, that's a good. <laughs> it's not what to think, it's how to think. And the countdown to wrath. Those are, we should have Katie make yeah, yeah. us more stickers. The countdown to wrath. The countdown to wrath. Um, so <clears throat> this is, a lot of this is a, like truly a heart issue. If mm-hmm. you want obedience 
with no questions asked because it strokes your ego or pride as a parent to have little compliant, non-independent, like cookie cutter kids that just do what you want them to do and don't have any personality of their own. That's a problem, mm-hmm. right? If you aren't willing to like teach a child what to do instead of when they make a mistake, that I think you need to check your heart, mm-hmm. right? That's not what parenting is about. Parenting is not about you always looking like you're the right one. Mm-hmm. In fact, parenting is uh, as a Christian parent, parenting is entirely about living the gospel out and mm-hmm. we'll get to that but it is this process and cycle of demonstrating i am a sinner just like you are which means i will sin i do sin and if i sin against you my child i am equally obligated to come to you in repentance and say i'm so sorry that i sinned against you mm-hmm. will you please forgive me yeah. and that isn't what you're doing in that is teaching your children how to live as a Christian, how to Mm -hmm. live out the gospel, Mm -hmm. but not having a double standard, which is that like what you were referring to earlier is like, I am always right. No matter what my way or the highway, even when I'm wrong. Right. So authoritarian parenting. So our next, and and there's a lot of pride in that too. So much pride. Yes. Authoritative parenting is our next category. Okay. We're going to do that. Do any of these statements sound like you? You put a lot of effort into creating and maintaining a positive relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. You explain the reasons behind your rules. Mm -hmm. You set limits, enforce rules, and give consequences, but you take your child's feelings into consideration. Everybody's like, yeah, this is me. I'm that, I'm that. So this, you know, in in terms of parenting styles, this really is where we're shooting. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want your child to feel like they don't matter to you. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that their feelings are going to influence the boundary or limit that you set. Mm -hmm. But there is a lot of power, especially as your kids get older, right? In hearing their argument Mm -hmm. and hearing what they are thinking Mm -hmm. and feeling. And And just hearing the definition and explanation of this particular parenting style, there's a lot of people who might, you know, dip their toes in the water or afraid to drown. Like, am I doing this or am I not doing this? And have so much anxiety where they don't end up doing anything at all. And this is where the law and the word of God actually sets it objectively mm-hmm. and what this looks like. Right. You know, when you, when you read the Proverbs and again, we'll, we'll read those a little later and it starts off with my son, <laughs> listen to my wisdom. Right. You know that there's a calm atmosphere where they're communicating with the child, right. teaching them something. Right, right. It isn't the screamo match. If you just read the definition, you're wondering, have I done this? Have I not done this? Have right. I done this? What does well, this look like? What so, does this not look I like? And I think that we, okay, God... There are clear examples in scripture, instances in scripture where God's wrath is swift and immediate. Mm -hmm. So I always, I think always of Lot, Lot's wife and like turning back to look Mm -hmm. as they're fleeing and she turns to salt. Um, There are, uh, when Aaron's sons enter, what is it? The Holy of Holies Mm -hmm. and they die immediately. Um, offering strange fire and all that. Right. There are clear example, like that God cares very much about obedience, Mm -hmm. that he cares very much about rebellion, that he cares very much about worship and how we worship him, that it matters to him. Um, 
And then like there, uh, but with those very specific uh, like examples of his quick execution of wrath, punishment, justice, mm-hmm. that overall he is a God that gives countless chances to his people. Mm-hmm. He, and it's all grace. It's I mean, all grace. But it's he, a city slow to anger. He yeah. loves his people so much mm-hmm. <laughs> that he continues, right? I mm-hmm. And it, this is, it. how long does it take? Like, it's not even a, I always jokingly say, like, it's not 10 minutes that Moses has gone up Mount Sinai before they're coming to Aaron asking to build the calf. Mm-hmm. Like, he is so merciful mm-hmm. in his love for us, right? right? That we need to be exemplary. We need to be living that out in our parenthood with our children. Mm-hmm. Do we have patient, yeah. very patient, yeah. slow to anger? Do we have expectations? Do we have rigid expectations around mm-hmm. certain things? Absolutely. And that's not bad. But what we don't do is expect perfection immediately without any grace, right. without any training, mm-hmm. without you, this is how you did this child, but this is how you should have done yeah. it. <clears throat> never, never once <clears throat> have I felt from God. Why aren't you getting this? I've told you five times. <laughs> oh man. I, well, pro- maybe it isn't coming from, I definitely had that conversation with myself. I feel it within myself, but it's usually an echo of how I would respond to the situation. Sure. But like I've... How many times have you uh, committed the same sin? And you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying, yeah. trying. And the grace of God and the hope of the gospel is still there. Oh, totally. And, the re- and, and that, that is that the grace falter. that, yeah, and that, that is the grace that transforms you. Right. So the patient and the steadfast love and the grace r- lets us rise to the occasion to obtain the command that God expects from us. Right. And yes, there is a time where I'm actually actively rebelling where I do get rebuked. And it feels harsh, right? right? With the hope of the gospel still there. I describe my salvation as bittersweet. Like it was so joyous that I was saved. But a minute I knew that Jesus was real and then he said he loved me and followed me, even though there was a smile on my face, I was struck with tremendous fear. And the reason why is because I was in the presence of a holy God and I realized that my lips were unclean. I was Mm. a man of unclean lips, just like Isaiah. But then all of a sudden joy came back over me. I've forgiven you. Right. That grace. Now I wanted to, well, live in a worthy manner of to what I've received, mm-hmm. which was love, which was, that means I respect my father. Right. <laughs> yeah. So he showed me respect by showing me myself, my sin, and how much judgment that I actually do deserve. And then here's grace. Grace. Um, wow. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. So um, if any of those statements that we made a second ago sound familiar, you may be an authoritative parent. Authoritative parents have rules and they use consequences, but they also take their children's opinions into account. Mm-hmm. Like, and this just reminds me so much of my own growing up mm-hmm. with my dad, specifically my dad. At, like, well, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Not because what I thought about it was going to influence the boundary, but because he was interested genuinely in what I thought about it. Um, they validate their children's feelings while also making it clear that the adults are ultimately in charge. Mm-hmm. This is the approach <clears throat> that is backed by research and experts as the most developmentally healthy and effective parenting mm-hmm. style. Authoritative parents invest time and energy into preventing behavior problems before they start. 
They also mm-hmm. use positive discipline strategies to reinforce positive behavior, like praise and reward systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, researchers have found that kids who have authoritative parents are most likely to become responsible adults who feel comfortable self-advocating and expressing opinions and feelings. Children raised with authoritative discipline tend to be happy and successful. Mm-hmm. They're also more likely to be good at making sound decisions and evaluating safety risks on their own. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff, guys. So we don't want to be an authoritarian, right? But we do want to be authoritative. Yeah. Okay. So the like, next... Uh, well, I'm sorry. Like many uh, children <laughs> experiencing with their, uh, their dads, you know, the first time that you're learning how to uh, change a tire on a car, you know, it either goes two ways. You learn how to change the tire uh, on your car or you learn how to get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember if my dad taught me that. I don't know if he did. I got yelled at every time I was messing with tools. Why? He I didn't want. They didn't want you messing with yeah, tools. Yeah. I gotcha. I I, I kind of I, I don't uh, mean to undermine them. I love my parents, but there was <laughs> there was some situations where it's like, all right, uh, I'll do it because you'll mess it up, kind of thing. And so I'm doing a laundry. No, let me do it. You'll mess it up. Right. Well, and yeah. I think that's it's really important actually to let your kids learn things now does that mean you let them play with the ten thousand dollar laser cutter in the garage without supervision i don't think so at all but i (laughs) but i don't think that keeping them from ever trying things that are risky or dangerous or there is a point to know uh when you're older sure like maybe it isn't the time right now it's not the time yeah um, but I, yeah, I don't think that guarding children from experiences like that end up being beneficial. Yeah, in the sometimes long run. you have to let the kid to get dirty <clears throat> and uh, experience. It's so things. funny because I like when I joke about that all the time with James. I'm like, a successful day in our, with a successful Toby day is when he is covered in just covered what yeah. in what a, you fill in the blank yeah. dirt mostly mm-hmm. immunity system <laughs> oh man <laughs> that little immunity. he loves just like going out into the dirt and like he's throwing such it a up boy in there. Yeah. He, he is such a boy yeah. oh i love him so much okay so the next parenting style is permissive parenting mm-hmm. we're gonna start this the same way do any of these statements mm-hmm. sound like you you set rules but barely or excuse me, but rarely enforce them. You don't give out consequences very often. You think your child will will learn best with little interference from you. If those statements sound familiar, you might be a permissive parent. Okay. Not, not you might be a redneck, but you might be a permissive <laughs> I know. parent. I wonder if the person writing this article had that in their head I, at all. I, you know, it's like... It, you if, might be a redneck. If your nomenclature, <laughs> your terminology, vernacular, sounds like something Jeff Fox where they would say, I don't uh-huh. know, maybe you should dismiss it. It's been so long since I heard any of that. Yeah, I used to think it was the bee's knees yeah, growing uh, up. My, I'm sure you hated I remember, it. I, I did, but my yeah. grandparents loved it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, permissive parents usually take on more of a friend role than a parent role. They often encourage their children to talk with them about their problems, but they usually don't put much effort into discouraging poor choices or bad behavior. Mm -hmm. Kids who grew up with permissive parents are more likely to struggle academically. They may exhibit more behavioral problems as they don't appreciate authority and rules. 
They often have low self-esteem and may report a lot of sadness. They're also at higher risk for health problems like obesity because permissive parents struggle to limit unhealthy food intake or promote regular exercise or healthy sleep habits. They are even more likely to have dental cavities because permissive parents often don't enforce good habits like ensuring a child brushes their teeth. Hmm. Yeah. So I do think like there is a stage, there's a threshold you cross as like a parent and a child when you're no longer a child Mm. as an adult where you are like, you are no longer that same authority figure. You're not setting rules in the way that you were because your child is an adult and they live, they're living their own life. They have their own home and they're setting their own rules Mm -hmm. and you can be more of a friend. Okay. And that's, and I think it's a really cool thing that happens. Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm, very much in a friendship relationship with my mom mm-hmm. now, but that would have been terrible mm-hmm. when I was a child. <laughs> my mom used to say, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be your mom, which is true. Right, yeah. It is really important. Um, it's really important. And like everything that we know about habit setting, we are like teaching your kids to eat well, young. Oh my gosh. It's so important. Otherwise, you grow up to be Nick and Robin talking about their chicken nuggets, fries, yeah. orange soda, <laughs> their, their, their weight loss journeys. I hate yeah, that word. Yeah. Um, over too. the last year and continuing Somebody into the just next. commented on one of my pictures. I, I, it looks so good. I'm glad you, uh, you're uh, on this journey. You're, 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 you're showing. Oh, your, that's my, that's one of the cringiest your weight loss words. Journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just really cringy. Your journey. My journey. It, I just, it, in that context, I hate that word. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, you got a little punk rock in you. Right? Uh, yeah. A little. Yeah. A little. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So our last uh, parenting category and our worst one mm-hmm. is uninvolved parenting. Yeah. Do any okay. of these statements sound like you? I hope not. You don't ask your child about school or homework. You rarely know where your child is or who they are with. Mm. You don't spend much time with your child. If those statements sound familiar, you might be an uninvolved parent. Mm. Uninvolved parents tend to have little knowledge of what their children are doing. They tend to be, there tend to be few roles in the household. Children may not receive much guidance, nurturing, or parental attention. Uninvolved parents expect children to raise themselves. They don't devote much time or energy into meeting children's basic needs. Uninvolved parents may be neglectful, but it's not always intentional. Mm -hmm. A parent with mental health issues or substance abuse problems, for example, may not be able to care for a child's physical or emotional needs on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. At other times, uninvolved parents lack knowledge about child development, or they may believe that their child will do better without their oversight. And sometimes they're simply overwhelmed with other problems Mm -hmm. like work, paying bills, and managing a household. Mm Children with uninvolved parents are likely to struggle with self-esteem issues. They tend to perform poorly in school, and they also exhibit frequent behavior problems and rank low in wow. happiness. I remember listening to a comedian, Adam <coughs> Carolla. Everybody knows Adam Carolla. And uh, he was talking about his dad. His, he was describing his dad in this very, uh, very sense. Did not go to one football game. Didn't really care where he was at. He got to spend the night at his friend's house on a Wednesday. He always ate uh, his friend's parents' food and things like that because they would never make dinner at his home. And he goes, the most profound thing is he was reading a book. I, I had a football game. And he, my dad sat in the chair at home, can hear the stadium cheer in the high school football arena, and he's reading a child development book. Whoa. Was he a psychologist? Yeah. 
or sort of like okay. he got into therapy and counseling. I don't know. It was a product of like sort of the hippie sixties and seventies. He was reading that book. And he goes, there just should have been a blinking, he should have put down the book because there should have been a blinking red arrow pointing towards the stadium. Right. If he really wanted to understand. Right. The relationship with him and his child should have been there at his game. Right. I mean, and I thought that was so profound that, you know, like he's reading a book about child development and parenting. And yet that's the problem. He's reading the book right, and, 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 not at the and game. A- actually doing it. Yeah. I really hope Toby likes basketball yeah. more than football. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a, that's a, it's a trash talking sport. So you either have the physicality oh, of football. Oh my or <laughs> gosh. You are not kidding. The only <laughs> time I ever heard my mom cuss growing up was while she was watching oh, yeah. the sun. Yeah. Cause it, it's, it's, it's a street game. What are you doing? Yeah. It's a street <laughs> game and you can't, you can't, pull the hood oh it's so good oh my gosh that's great um yeah okay so those are the four parenting styles as like described by Mm -hmm. uh secular psychology current psychology and i did want to talk about briefly i think this would be actually a really good like detailed discussion for on the couch so we can pull it there um but i wanted to talk about one of the more popular parenting movements that are happening that is happening currently um and it's you definitely see it in the reformed world in fact there's a group um on a, like a facebook group called uh reformed gentle parenting so dun 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 we are going to talk about the gentle parenting movement for a second um and then we'll move into the so what you know, like, mm-hmm. what does God say about all of this? We've been alluding to it throughout here. Um, and that's where we'll wrap up. When you guys have been such good listeners to hang on with us for close to two hours now. Um, but I felt very convicted that we needed to talk about this mm-hmm. because I think Christians need to know how to respond to this. Um, and taking tenants from this movement and using them, I think it would be 100% okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that God is very, very clear about what not disciplining your children Mm. does to your children and later to the adults they become and then how they treat neighbor. Right. So like you were saying, yeah, this really is a matter of like, am I loving my neighbor by stewarding my children well? Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to send them up and off into the world mm-hmm. one day. In order to teach them how to love God and love their neighbor, you have to reflect um, the nature of God and then reflect that love to a neighbor as well. You have to teach them that wisdom so that they can do it out the outside. The relationship that you have with them is going to be the relationship that they have with other people. Right. Okay. What is gentle parenting? Uh, gentle parenting is a parenting approach that prioritizes the connection between children and their parents. So I'm reading this straight off of the gentle parenting website. Mm-hmm. The core elements of this parenting style are well established and were first promoted by child psychologist, Dr. Alfred Adler in the 1920s. Yeah. I admire Adler. <laughs> yeah. In uh, his Some research, of his stuff. Yeah. His research, um, yeah. I admire most of them like in, I, pieces maybe this is off topic maybe it's irrelevant was he a homosexual man i don't know i thought it, I, I thought i read him uh, reading that that's why i kept going his research his research was good yeah. i don't know yeah i, think uh, he was, so. I don't know anything about mm-hmm. him personally off the top of my head 
I'm sure I did at one point. Mm-hmm. Graduate school pushes certain information out of your head. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> uh, using certain guidelines, um, using certain tenets as guidelines. Okay, so those who practice gentle parenting are encouraged to interact with their children in a way that promotes a child's overall emotional well-being. This includes encouraging independence, expression, and feelings of comfort and safety. This is all while keeping the peace and allowing everyone's space and freedom to feel their emotions without judgment, correction, or reprimand. Mm. So every single Christian should be thinking, what? What do you mean without judgment, correction, or reprimand? Mm. So the idea of saying to your child, I see that you're angry. Mm -hmm. Having the feeling of anger is not inherently sinful, okay? Mm -hmm. How you act around that feeling can be. So in that way... I'm not judging that you feel angry. I'm giving you permission to feel angry, but that's where that ends, right? Like you are angry. I see that you're angry. You're telling me you're angry, but this is how you should be responding to the situation. And you are still responsible for controlling your emotions. That is something as a Christian, you absolutely mm-hmm. must do. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's very much like a humanistic Roger, Rogerian approach to the like um, unconditional positive regard. Mm-hmm. That's immediately what it hits for me. And it's like, mm, no, if I'm sitting across from a pedophile in therapy and they tell me that they're attracted to, to little boys, they're going to see how disgusting that is all over my face. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give them permission to mm-hmm. feel that feeling with me without judgment Mm -hmm. so as a christian we are not we are never allowed to be sinful there's nothing that permit like permits that Mm -hmm. right we're not allowed to sin against god because we want to make sure our child feels safe Mm -hmm. so if they're being sinfully angry you are required in obedience and love in love for god and love for neighbor and love for your child to discipline your kid Mm -hmm. so Freedom to feel emotions without judgment, correction, or reprimand. Mm. Mm. You know, you know, and just in times where I've been angry through trials in life, you can almost <clears throat> gently hear the Holy Spirit. Is it right for you to be angry right, right now? What are you really angry about? So, yeah. so do I think that it's okay for you to like get angry yourself because mm-hmm. your kid is angry mm-hmm. and be sinfully angry at their, no. Mm-hmm. And it does, it actually doesn't serve any purpose to say you're not allowed to be angry right now. That's not what well, I'm suggesting. Yeah. And what, what, what that did when that question came to me, you can either say it by the Holy spirit or it's just because the wisdom and the word of God just filters through me. Is it right for you to be angry right now? Allowed me just like uh, when he asked Adam, it's not like God would ask that question wondering, the you know, answer. The answer. Right, right, right. He asked Adam, where are you? Right. You know. Not because he didn't know where Adam was. <laughs> so Adam could respond accordingly. Right. And asking questions like that. I mean, all, all of a sudden, when you ask that question, you know full well. Oh, wait a minute. The intention of that question. Right. I'm, mm. If I say yes and then give the explanation. Right. There's going to be more consequences if I say no, then I have to explain why I'm angry. Right. And that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think that especially little kids, we are not born with an like emotional intelligence that allows us to mm-hmm. quickly and accurately identify what we're feeling, yeah. why we're feeling it. The like fancy word for it is alexithymia. We are out mm-hmm. without an emotional vocabulary when we are born. Mm-hmm. We have to learn it. So yes, is it helpful to 
to guide your are, I, are you feeling angry right now yeah, right help them identify pull it out what you. it is yeah. that they are feeling but you don't you're not doing that simply because you want them to feel comfortable in their anger right like mm-hmm. it's help me identify what I'm feeling so that I understand it and can start to like employ control over it right I, I actually really like the Doug Wilson Doug and Nancy Wilson and and actually maybe I'm crediting them incorrectly uh it could have been Rachel and her mm-hmm. husband Luke but they talk about like your emo- your emotions are like beautiful horses Mm. and they're important and they're majestic and they're powerful and you are still the rider Mm. right with reins over it like it's still your job to control those feelings Mm -hmm. so I don't see like outside of saying yes I can see you're angry and I'm not mad at you for being angry I don't really know how far freedom extends there Mm -hmm. and I definitely don't know how far like no correction or no reprimand it just depends. I mean, I, you know, uh, Nancy Wilson came under scrutiny recently yeah. just by telling a story about her disciplining. I think it was Rachel. It was Rachel. Just, yeah. 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 And uh, just knowing who Rachel is now. Oh, my gosh. A godly come, woman with come wisdom. Come on. Yeah. Well, and to hear. So and I listened to what have you, which is Rachel yeah. and Becca's podcast. And they and she talked about it. On, like they talked about it after the like blow up on Twitter. This is why well, we need to be on Twitter. Well, the, the, if any of you don't know, she was explaining the sh- story about her disciplining Rachel when she asked her, okay, we, you know, we got to go home now. She was playing with her friends. We got to go home now, get in the car or something like that. And Rachel goes, I don't want to, right. I don't want to, I don't want to go home or do we have to kind of thing. And it seemed like an innocent, she fussed about it a little bit. She fussed a little bit. And Nancy goes, see, this is the perfect opportunity right Mm -hmm. here. So she goes, I took her home and then disciplined her. She didn't discipline her in front of anybody else. This is a very private thing between a mom and a daughter Mm -hmm. right now, a parent and child. This isn't about shaming you to to bolster my yeah. ego. She was actually thinking like a parent, this is how I'm going to properly. Why is this a problem that what's happening here? Like the, yeah. like her compliance with grumbling is not actually the expectation. Mm-hmm. Her like cheerful obedience cheerful quick mm-hmm. obedience and uh it's implied that she spanked her and i don't think the the, the controversy was in the the spanking of the child even though it's probably included. i'm sure that's part of it it was it, everybody's imagination looking at rachel's face or wondering what a kid would say when i go oh do i have to go home right now right. and then get spanked because of that right you know what i mean and just knowing who rachel is now just knowing that means that probably first of all didn't happen very much right and second of all when she was disciplined she learned a lesson right it was valuable and that transgression rarely ever happened again right and again knowing who rachel is now it seemed to serve a great purpose Mm -hmm. she's a wonderful mom godly woman for any of you guys that list don't listen to what have you when rachel and becca are talking about this whole thing that like blew up over twitter and got crazy rachel started giving examples other examples in her childhood of times where that like her parents made the active decision not not to like no physical discipline no spanking Mm -hmm. um and she's like and things that like other parents would have been like, Oh, well I definitely would have like spanked over that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just very interesting to hear her talk. And, and it, so there are like categories. Yeah. Well, and she, physical, no 
physical, yes. She joked in the episode, I I'm I don't remember verbatim what she said, but she's she's like, I clearly love my parents, right? They raised God fearing children. Mm-hmm. I have eight of my own children. We're like, you know, professing believers, not their youngest one is just barely a year old. So that's not, but still like, I'm fine. Like I'm fine. I don't, not only do I not have any harsh feelings towards my mom about that. Mm -hmm. I honestly think there were instances where I should have been like Mm -hmm. corporally disciplined when I wasn't. Probably wasn't. yeah. Yeah. So it's just, it's. And, and, and seeing what the world will, will start to do is now want to attack her identity. Oh, so that's you are, really, you just don't know. That's really what know? this whole gentle parenting movement at the core of it. Yeah. There it's, you never, there's never any like corporal discipline at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you're, so like, even if your child is smacking you in the face, mm-hmm. you are allowed to like hold them still. Mm-hmm. You're allowed to protect yourself, but you'd like, you do not, there's no physical intervention outside of, yeah right like moving to a position where your kid can't hit you in the face anymore and no no yeah no uh, <clears throat> th- this kind of discipline is necessary and what do you so this is my this is my question too what do you do right when you're now like your four-year-old is a 20-year-old mm-hmm. and they walk up to somebody outside of a bar and mm-hmm. punch them in the face yeah you what know. do you do then? Like at wow. what at what point in parenting is it your responsibility, right, mm-hmm. to actually intervene around stuff like that? You and know. I would say it always is until y- they're not in your home anymore. They're not. They're an adult and they're out there in the world operating. And obviously, my example here is going to be a worst case scenario, an extreme scenario. But just now, you said, "What do you do when a person walks up to somebody right. at a bar?" My buddy, uh, whom I grew up with split family mm-hmm. right chaotic kind of thing uh was a bouncer at a bar he was also an all-state wrestler ufc fighter Ew. so and he was a bouncer sure and this wasn't just a bar i believe like it was not a the guy club. you want to walk up to and punch yeah it was a a strip club slash bar kind ah. of thing. and there was a drunken firefighter it's actually all over the news when uh, was this uh this was five six years ago okay um, and that guy, that firefighter, um, walked up to him and started yelling at him and punched him. You know? And my buddy, um, did his bouncer thing and ended up killing the man. By hitting him? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> oh my gosh. Um, but not just hitting him after he knocked him out and got on top of him. And yeah, it was a brawl. Oh my goodness. And it was all over the news. Like, oh, hero firefighter dies. And I'm like, that uh, actually, that exactly guy was at happened. a strip club and he was drunk and he was talking to my friend. My friend didn't need to do that no but also let's let's it talk about the, the there's an infidel uh, infidelity going on here adultery going on by a firefighter who is drunk <laughs> at a bar anyways i bring that up just because you bring that example up you know what i mean uh-huh. there's i i know my buddy split family to say the cons there's consequences he didn't know how to control right anything at that point ne- so yeah. both yeah both that what a horribly sad story. now that's an extreme situation i'm not Did saying your friend go to jail yeah he's in jail for the next well three years four years he got manslaughter for oh that my man. gosh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. guys okay so <clears throat> what i'm not saying is that it's ever okay to take your child out back with a switch and beat them mm-hmm. that's not what i'm saying at all mm-hmm. please hear me on this mm-hmm. <clears throat> what i'm saying is that god and we're going to get to this in just a second is extremely clear about the importance of discipline mm-hmm. and raising your children up in the fear and admonition of the lord mm-hmm. um and there is no way 
on God's green earth that I'm going to allow my child to hit me in the face mm-hmm. as an act of aggression mm-hmm. or at, hit me anywhere, but especially mm-hmm. in the face. Okay. So really quick back to gentle parenting, parenting the tenants. And the, the re one of the reasons I'm going over this is because it sounds it's, it's got that disguise around it of being so good right like you want your kids to have freedom to feel their emotions and you without be feeling guilty or shamed for feeling their emotions mm-hmm. and it's got this it's got this disguise of being well this is just the this is just great like this is so wonderful and as christians we have to learn how to di- digest stuff like this and really understand what is happening here mm-hmm. um through a biblical lens so and I just think it's very easy to get caught up in the like shininess of stuff like this without thinking it through entirely. So yeah, again, do you want your kids to be able to feel their feelings? Yes, of course you do. Mm-hmm. But that's not the whole statement. Mm-hmm. Semicolon and upon identifying what they are feeling, immediately engage in a process where they is this sin? If mm-hmm. it's sin, I need to repent of it. I need to control this feeling, word. right? And so, that, and that's the key word. I mean, even you know, the Psalm says this. Uh, uh, Paul uh, echoes it. You know, be angry, do not sin. Right. The feelings there. Right. Right. Your feelings right. are feelings. Feel whatever you want to feel. Right. Or don't whatever sin. you do, but don't sin. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, gentle parenting falls into the category of authoritative parenting. This is from the gentle parenting website. Okay. So that's, they're putting it into this category. Gentle parenting. Um, it's prescribed, uh, by gentle parenting founder, Sarah Aquell Smith. And the four main elements, uh, of the parenting movement are empathy, respect, understanding, and boundaries. Mm. Um, parents who use gentle parenting, make sure children are offered empathy by acknowledging their feelings and using mirroring to make sure their children feel heard. Mm. Okay. So empathy, I'm just going to go through these really quick. Empathy is the first key aspect of gentle parenting. Mm -hmm. According to gentle parenting experts, a child's feelings and experiences are all too often dismissed, minimized, or ignored altogether, even by well-intentioned parents. This leaves them feeling as though they do not matter and their voices will not be heard. Mm -hmm. With the gentle parenting method, parents are encouraged to keep their children's feelings in mind when trying to understand the child's behavior and when considering how to respond. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that at all you should consider all of those things, mm-hmm. but not beca- n- just because you want your child to feel valued by you, but because it actually informs how you can strategically discipline your child, mm-hmm. right? If they're misbehaving or if they're mm-hmm. acting sinfully. And notice that it, it preemptively uh, considering too as well, um, it's going to be hard to consider on the moment. But if you considered it beforehand, when those moments pop up, you'd be able to make a decision. You like, mean considering how they f- would feel? Yeah, or even asking questions or just having to do with the situation where you look back at Nancy. She knew right away that this was a perfect time. Well, this understand. is a heart issue that I yeah. need to correct. Okay, yeah. totally. Right. Yeah. Analyzing it yeah. from that perspective. Because she had the wisdom beforehand. Right, right. Yeah. That's a good point. <clears throat> um, the second tenet is respect. Uh 
with gentle parenting, respect should be mutually demonstrated between children and their caretakers. Experts advise that children should not be expected to respect care t- caretakers in a vacuum, and caretakers should monitor themselves to make sure they are engaging their children in a manner that is respectful and uplifting rather than condescending or dismissive. A simple way to incorporate respect in parent-child relationships might be to listen to a child when they speak and to ask questions first, then react. Mm. Okay. So it God is very clear here that like it's children who owe respect to their parents. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but even though, I mean, and I do think in the Proverbs that it, this is alluded to, like it, a parent's behavior definitely matters mm-hmm. and influences whether or not a child will be respectful. And you should be respectable as a parent, right? But ultimately they you are the one owed respect as their parent. Mm-hmm. So do I think you need to be respectful of your kids? Absolutely. But with the foundation of I am the authority figure mm-hmm. and I'm the authority figure because of the way God designed this family, right. the designed the family. And just like you are to submit to my authority, I submit to his, mm-hmm. right? Okay. The third is understanding. Uh, according to the main elements of gentle principles, parenting when children feel heard and understood they are far more likely to come to their parents in times of crisis they are also more willing to listen and adhere to their caretakers rules which can prevent a power struggle one of the most vital aspects of this type of parenting is educating yourself on the typical developmental expectations for children and not expecting children to behave in a way that is too advanced or emotionally mature for their development Mm -hmm. um I think we have to be extremely careful with that. Yes, you are not going to expect your three-year-olds to be able to perform perfect surgery. Mm-hmm. True. But I think p- children grow because the expectations and standards that right. are placed on them require the growth. Right, right. And so I always uh, say this about <laughs> sanctification too as well. God gives me the hard command first. And the reason why is because he's going to need, uh, know that I need help achieving that hard command. Right. And so th- there's grace and patience and sanctification and help throughout me getting to the final goal. I can do this. Right. Know? Um, that's why the mortification of sin is so important and why he tells you to mortify that. Uh, you're going to need help. Right. And you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Right. And in order to to, uh, to achieve God's command, sinner, right. you need to learn what it is and then grow through that. And, hey, everybody's time frame on learning those things are different. Right. You know, it, it could take five minutes. It could take five years. Um, and uh, but that's this is why the church is there to help you with that, too, as well. But, uh, yeah. Um, I, I think too, like we get into this, um, well, one of the things that I've heard a lot is like, like, well, brain development, like my two year old is just not capable of operating with impulse control. But you see, guys, like that's just simply not true. Yeah, it's How many of you have kind of cursing that child that yeah. can like they understand yes and no, mm-hmm. right? And might they struggle with mm-hmm. being able to come? Yes, mm-hmm. but that's not that isn't in that goes question back to what here. I was just talking about right. Yeah. So that doesn't mean that you don't that you relieve the expectation. Yeah. No, you don't. You don't do that. And more work at that stage of life creates so much less work later on, Mm -hmm. like establishing that foundation when they are very young means that you aren't trying to establish it and unwork terrible relationship Mm -hmm. dynamics when they're 12, 13, 14 years old. Right. Okay. 
It the, seems simple. The last right. uh, component here is boundaries. Um, so uh, the fourth and final key to gentle parenting is setting boundaries and enforcing them. Unlike permissive parenting, which can be relaxed about boundaries, or uninvolved parenting, which may not offer boundaries at all, gentle parenting urges caretakers to set clear guidelines that foster a healthy, loving, and stable environment. Hmm. Specific boundaries will differ from family to family, but usually involve elements of communication, expectations, and behavior. Um. Yeah. Okay. So <clears throat> anyway, I think, uh, boundaries are absolutely necessary. So I, I really don't have anything to say bad about you must, you absolutely must have good boundaries, good and clear boundaries as a parent mm -hmm. and uh, the boundaries that you set for your kids will change as they grow. You get more freedom as you grow up, right? That's just the truth. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> So, yeah. So anyway, um, I think that really the important parts of this as Christians that we need to be careful about are trading this as ultimate wisdom for right. what God has laid out for us in scripture. There's veneers of truth. Right. In these, right. Uh, and it's not, I don't think that we yeah. even have to dismiss. There's big hunks of this that I think are good. And, and the reason why we can go, this is good, there's nothing wrong with that, is because we understand biblical wisdom, which we'll get ready to go into. But, like, the, the, if, there's, if there's anything that we've said in here that is true at all is because of God, and it's because of Christ, and it's because of what he's implemented and has said, and then humans who naturally suppress the truth and unrighteousness can't escape the truth of God will end up observing and hit, mm -hmm. you know, the mark every once in a while. Right, right. right. Even though we miss the mark. Yeah, all the time. Which is what sin is. So. Yes. Well, I mean, it's, sin and mistake are not synonymous yeah. <clears throat> at all, right? Who is the the um? Is Edison the light bulb guy? Mm -hmm. Uh, his what? famous yeah. quote for like you know, like I only like I I got a thousand light bulbs wrong, but I only needed to get one right. Right. Yeah. yeah mistakes are not inherently sin mm -hmm. and that's really important if you are disciplining mistakes as sin that's yeah. a problem yeah what about uh, people getting disciplined about using their left hand and not the right oh hand? gosh guys yeah <laughs> oh lord help us okay you so live in a right-handed world you will learn how to use that right hand lord help us all right brother so um what does God say about parenting? Yeah, so the so what of it all, right? right? And we've sprinkled it through talking uh, about this. We, we've alluded to it. Let's take the definition, you know, authoritative, authoritarian, right? Uh, permissive, unresponsive. Um, uninvolved. Uninvolved, mm -hmm. neglectful. Um, and we can, we can see, you know, we want to shoehorn God into one of those categories and go, well, he's the authoritarian type because that's the best type. Authoritative. Author would... Yeah, or authoritative type, right? Because <laughs> yeah. that's the best type. He's an right. authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, authoritative type. That's the best type. So we're going to, we're going to categorize. He does this because if he does the other three things on here, he's a tyrant. And I don't think that we should codify God in that matter. Let's no, just, no, no, no. Let's just take these categories, set them aside real quick. And remember the first commandment that he gave Israel, mm -hmm. right? I am the Lord, your God. He had no qualms about declaring his preeminent rule and holiness, and he dictated to them, okay? 
Like he is ruler, king. Right. You listen. I am the Lord your God. And then not only does he declare his name first, he describes his name. I am the Lord your God who saved you. Right. <laughs> out of Israel. Who saved you. And then because of that, the name, the description of that name comes the command. Right. You shall worship no other gods before me. And then on. Yeah. So you, th- you see that threefold. Declaring of holiness. Right. You listen to me because I'm holy. Right. Here's why. And here's what I want you to do. Right. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's threefold. Yeah. And then, so I, I always look, that's why I'm holy, 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 holy. <laughs> you know, I, there is something to go, first of all, holy God said so. Right. And then second of all, he is gracious enough to even describe it. Sure. And yeah. he does. And he does. Yeah. And then not even so that he describes it helps me achieve it. Right. Okay. Yeah, I know. It gives me the mechanism by which I will achieve it. And uh, like first and foremost in the Holy Spirit, but yeah. even before the spirit was gifted to us in that way, he never left Israel wandering without help. No. You know, I, I, I was reading the other day, you know, uh, in the song, I think it was Psalm 66. Um, and it says, you know, he establishes us in the land of the living. Right. And he keeps our feet from stumbling yeah now i look at that and i can get teared up and i go a gracious father who disciplines me like a father establishes me in a home Mm -hmm. amongst other people yeah and keeps my foot from stumbling well that and uh, what's i can't remember i think it might be psalm 110 the like your word is a lamp unto my feet yeah he he is never leaving us in the wilderness alone Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't leave us alone in the wilderness. His parenting style is complete light. Yeah. Showing you. Right. Perfection. Right. How to live. Right. How shall I live under this holy God's rule? Right. Right. A gracious, Mm -hmm. authoritarian, authoritative, holy God. (laughs) Right. It's a a balance. Mm -hmm. And not even a balance. It's just a perfection of a holy God's use of those things. Mm-hmm. And he's never unresponsive Mm-mm. or neglectful. Mm-mm. And even though it seems like he's hiding his face, mm-hmm. we rely on the wisdom that he's taught us to know that he's never right. gone. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes children feel <coughs> like that. You know, when we let them learn something. No, I'm going to take a step back here. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how would you handle this? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there are going to be times in Toby's life where maybe you've already done that. Oh, you know yeah. What I mean? Like, that's going to hurt. And it's going to make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And they got to wrestle through it. And they will rise to the occasion. Right. And then they'll learn that they can help themselves, too, as well. Right. You know, it's like, man, my God does all of these things because he knows my design. He knows my emotions. He's not sent there second guessing. And it, when he asks me a question, it's for my response, not that he's void of the information. And I look at the Proverbs. And it's like, okay, so, you know, what do we do with this? I want to mimic my father, my God, my father in heaven's discipline towards me, though he be omnipresent and powerful and makes no qualms to show me that I can never obtain. I can be like my master. I will never be the master. Right. Right. And I I think that's what Jesus says. Like, you'll be like the son. Right. You'll never supersede him. Conform to his image. I will always be a creature and I will always be The reflection is never the image. Right. Right. I am. Not raised from the dead, right? Um, and it, it, you look at the Proverbs, especially in the first, I mean, there's a lot of chapters that start with this, you know, my son, 
you know, it always says, my son. I like Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not be willing. I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to read on, but I'm going to stop right there. My son, first of all, that mm-hmm. we know that's a father and a son. And he's writing these things down for him. My mm-hmm. brother did that uh, with his uh, adopted child. My nephew, uh, he wrote him a whole list. My son, do this, this, this. You know, and he did that when he was younger. I love your brother. Yeah. And I was, love your nephew. Yeah, uh, Caden is, is... He's super talented, he's too. Now, I know, that's no... <laughs> and he's getting ready to graduate. That's not like, real. <laughs> yes, I can't hear uh, that. I get you. Uh, and uh, before they were even married, uh, he went to uh, the church I grew up in. My parents, was, they were babysitting him when oh, he really? was three and did oh, not know no he was going to be a future grandchild. <laughs> oh, my gosh. God's providence. <laughs> it, it was great. That's so it's cool. Great. So mm-hmm. he's known him. I also love all your, of his life. Your pretty sister much. in law yeah. is the best. He's known our family all of his life. Now he's just a part of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's um. He's he was never. He was never without you know mm-hmm. that side of the family, which is that's very cool. You talk about a parenting style and future grace. Mm-hmm. This is what separates us from God, is that He knows the future. Right. Because <laughs> He it says is the glory but, of yeah. God to <laughs> right to conceal a thing and the honor of kings yeah. to seek it out. So that's part of His parenting style. Yep. There would be no category that you could put that in right. that humans could comprehend that or they could plan themselves right. right we have to use wisdom and so the observance that we were talking about earlier allows us to project sort of what might happen mm-hmm. right yes you go outside without shoes mm-hmm. you could not that you will but sometimes we would go you're going to get sick sure <laughs> like a doctor would be um you know somebody uh you know had a heart attack or somebody had a seizure or something like that and they tell you not to drive because it will happen again well they don't know well, if it's or going it, to right again. like you you have a grandma you can't be behind the wheel yeah but it's best to just say <clears throat> you will so that you hear airing on the side of what caution you, what right. you need to do right um, so my son, if sinners entice you, we stop right there. If sinners, we can break it down. What's a sinner? The law of God comes into play mm-hmm. in this. If sinners entice you, do not be willing. So there's the hard command. Mm-hmm. So my son starts off with my child, the law of God and what sinners might do. Do not be willing. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. This is murder. Let us ambush the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole. Uh, as those who go down to the pit, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, This is now robbing your neighbor. Uh, We find all kinds of precious wealth. We will find, if they say to you, we will find all kinds of precious wealth. We will find all our our houses with spoil. Cast you, uh, cast you, uh, cast in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them withhold your feet from their pathway for their feet run to evil now there's the description of the consequences their feet run to evil they hasten to shed blood for it is no use that a net is spread in the sight of any bird but they lie in wait for their own blood they ambush their own lives so are the paths of everyone who is greedy for gain it takes away the life of its possessors and so it so he describes it by my son here's my wisdom here's the law of god and then the consequences of not acting according to this wisdom and he's codifying it in such a um a, such a way where this is not just for you right now this is for your whole entire life it's a generational parenting style right a generational thinking that you will hand down and the law of God says, woe to anybody who gains by unjust means. He's keeping God 
in the picture because there is a point of judgment. Right. Right. The Bible says twofold, right? Uh, we say as Christians, we are saved, being saved, and will be saved. It's threefold salvation, right? Mm-hmm. We are saved, declared righteous right now. We are being saved, sanctification, and we will be saved, the resurrection of the dead. Right. right? It's the same thing with judgment. It says that the wrath of God abides on you present tensely when in rejection with him. You are judged, being judged, and will be judged. Right. It's threefold. Mm -hmm. The preeminent holiness of God is over everything. And it's in here where this particular uh, man and his child is considering sinners. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't know what a sinner is without the law of God or without that covenant. Right. So I'm not a Presbyterian, but I am reformed and I am covenantal. (laughs) Yes. I think covenantally when I teach. And we should be. So any of the, what we've just discussed today means nothing to me unless there's a covenantal aspect in Mm -hmm. it. And so not just am I parenting my child, I'm parenting my child in covenant relationship with my Lord. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to reflect that. It means nothing if you don't have that. Right. In fact, if you're doing it without that, first of all, you're doing it wrong. And I don't care about saying that. <laughs> right. Second of all, without God, why do anything? Why right. not be the there's unresponsive no, There's parent? no standard, right? Because if all we are is evolved broccoli anyway, like stardust right. turned broccoli, turned fish, turned human, mm-hmm. um, then why would it matter? Why does right. it matter? Like the, your suffering or the suffering that you engender in other people is of no consequence ultimately. The father is also teaching a son discernment. Discretion will keep you. Discernment will guard you to deliver you from the way of evil. Thinking critically right. about things. Now, so, he's writing this to a son who's probably, end up, he's getting ready to enter into manhood. So he's leaving it with something so he can start his life. Sure. Kind of thing like that. I'm sure he's taught him these increments, but now he's got a hard letter. Right. <laughs> I love that uh-huh. kind of thing. Here's what I give to you, my son. Right. Wisdom. Right. Things that I've learned in life. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Haven't you always been in this situation? Man, if I learned that when I was... If if I knew then (laughs) Then what what I don't know how. I say that all the time. I know. I was talking about a a, a very intimate conversation with somebody um, who is, well, near and dear to my heart, very intelligent, great apologist, not naming any names. His one thing that he struggles with is the fact that he got saved later on in life and that he feels that he's wasted a lot Uh, of time. Yeah. And I'm not going to tell any particular attributes because somebody will guess sure. <laughs> who I'm talking about. So I'm just going to leave it in general like that. That is a hard wait. And he starts talking about the absence of his father too as well. And it's cohesive with that. Wasting time. There is an element of truth. Right. Now God calls us where we're at and he says, whatever you obtain or didn't act like right. that you are where you're at now and you go forward. Right. Right. Strive to make it your own. Right. That's the way our God governs and fathers us present tensely upon salvation. Right. However, the veneer of truth is you can see the absence of parenting. Right. The effect. I never want to give my child this spirit. Right. Of what a waste. Oh gosh. No. Well, our prayer for Toby all the time is like, Lord, uh, will you save him when he is so young that there, I hear that, you pray that all yeah, the time during dinner and it's great. <laughs> I love that. There's never a moment in his memory that he doesn't, 
like remember loving you, loving your law, loving your statutes. We've always mentioned Jesus. I've I've talked <clears throat> to people all the time. I go, when were you saved? Presuming that they've lived a debaucherous life. And because yeah, you yeah and because I of me or of that. Yeah, it's such a common story, right? That you just assume. Like I go, well, I wasn't right. always a Christian, like we all. Right. Were. How, what know, drove like, you into the dirt? <laughs> and then they go. I've I w- always I loved just, Jesus. Yeah, I don't remember a time <laughs> I grew up. And I love that story yeah. so much. And I go, and, and they are embarrassed by it because they want that good redemption story. Or like the burning bush story. Yeah. They want that, that, that profound encounter, and you know, it's like, mm, I know I was like, dude, you went just through, as profound. You right? went to a natural regeneration through covenant parenthood. Yeah. Which God is a, redeemed you and spare, like James yeah. White is saying, God's great. You want a redemption story? God's grace was on on me to spare me from all the scars. Right. Oh, Lord, please. Because I'm still dealing with these scars. They'll never go away. The consequences of sin don't like are not erased upon regeneration. And I'm going to speak for you, but you you can tell me not to. But (laughs) our scars get exacerbated from our past all the time. Sure. Or they get re. Yeah. They just lift up. Yeah. Right. Whatever triggers it. You have your own fill in the blank. Right. And if, and that's what makes us think, man, if I knew, if I had the right, wisdom. if I had only been 14, so when I look at these 25, so when I look at these parents, uh, parenting styles, I think of a general outline that they're giving us. Sure. Whereas the secular psychology, uh, psychological world, the woke psychological world, <laughs> the gentle parenting, uh, uh, admonition, they're looking at that. Like that's the deep stuff. Sure. And I go, no, no. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is yeah, the fear of the Lord. Right now, these things make sense if they're true at all. Right. Well, and so I think God, He's so clear. Like uh, parenting, what He thinks about parenting, what He said, it should be done by a mother and a father. Um, it should include discipline, mm-hmm. right? That when when it says like you spare the rod, you spoil the child. That's not because mm-hmm. God wants you whipping your kids. It's because an undisciplined child grows into an undisciplined adult mm-hmm. who will not and cannot love neighbor. Mm-hmm. Um, parents should be deserving of honor because God commands children to honor their parents, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um. As parents, we're charged by God with raising up arrows for the kingdom. That means not being a hypocrite, right? It means actually adhere, knowing God's law and adhering to it the, yeah. as best possible. Um, you know, and I, and I raising them in the fear and admonition of the exactly. Lord. Exactly. And one one other thing, you know, because you say spare the rod, spoil the child, which is not the exact. No. saying of the proverb that's just how we generalized it and there is some truth uh to that um i've seen people threaten the rod yes you know what i mean right like if, if you don't do this and then they hold up the wooden spoon uh, i don't I, think that you should threaten your child no, no, no. you either do it or don't do it no 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 you either tell them or not right you know <laughs> it's best for you not to say anything if you're going to threaten so so like we said this at the beginning two and a half hours ago we said discipline is never ever to be done in anger. Yeah. Discipline is only done in love, mm-hmm. right? If it's not done in love, it's punishment. It, and it, in in such a way that you are seeking like the sorrow, regret, upset of your child over the wisdom and lesson and if sin is involved, right? Like the um confession and repentance of that sin, the actual training up of your child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
every every parent is guilty of acting in anger. Mm-hmm. That's just the truth. But you're also required to confess that, repent of it, and do better next time. You know, so and, and it, <clears throat> you talk about parenting styles. Let's go back to God again. His prerogative in particular way that he's conforming you into the image of Christ mm-hmm. is never threatened by consequence. Like, Oh, I'm going to do this if you don't do this kind no. of thing, but it is never, it's always, it's always expedient. It's always expedited right. fast. Right, right. Now you may think I'm struggling with this. Uh, I don't, I didn't find out that I was struggling with this till like five years later. I didn't find out this was a sin until five. Why didn't God discipline me at that moment? Mm -hmm. It's because of the particular way he was conforming you to Christ. Sure. And the particular style or your, you know. What you really don't want is is God to confront you with every single sin issue immediately and all at once. So does that make him tolerating? No, he's got a particular goal to sanctify you. Right. And you've been right on track the whole time. And to his glory. And you'll find out you've been right on track the whole time. So I really think like I I kind of wrote this up as like my sumerative. This should be the heartbeat of the Christian parent. And um, really the family like is a living, breathing example illustration of the gospel at work so when i when when i like the parent or a child sin i must confess that sin to god and to the person i've sinned against Mm. and upon that confession i must repent of my sin first before god and then before the person i have sinned against Mm-hmm. sincere repentance is followed by my asking both the Lord and the injured person for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you're a believing Christian forgiveness from God was established long before you even sinned, but mm-hmm. you, there is a point in asking and humbling yourself and asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And then forgiveness is given by the injured party. It was already given by the Lord and fellowship is immediately restored. So it's Mm -hmm. this process of sin, confession, repentance, Mm -hmm. asking for forgiveness, forgiveness being bestowed, Mm -hmm. and then immediate restoration of joyful fellowship. You need to make an asterisk of that. uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'll get that tattooed on my chest. Um, It's, it really needs to like, and when I say immediate restoration of joyful fellowship, it isn't now I wander around the house sullen punishing my child because they hurt my feelings or vice versa, like continuing to have a snippy tood over what happened. It is now fellowship is restored and we can be back in joyful relationship with each other. Mm -hmm. And I love you. And, and the Mm -hmm. discipline that has happened here was out of that love, Mm -hmm. not born out of my pride being assaulted by whatever happened. Mm -hmm. Um, we we talked about this before we started, but like, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, Mm -hmm. which Nick reminded me was in Joshua. And it is, it's really, it's about all of Israel, Mm -hmm. but, that's at the heartbeat of a Christian parent. Mm-hmm. We love the Lord. We know who he is. We are obedient to his commandments and mm-hmm. we long to fulfill and comply with his law. Mm-hmm. And we live out that gospel 
in everything we do. We aren't too proud to admit wrong. When we wrong, when we sin, we admit it to our children if we are if they're the ones we have sinned against and it will they will be. Mm-hmm. Without fail or question, that will happen if you are a parent, a Christian mm-hmm. parent. And we do not expect them to engage in this process without also engaging in it ourselves. Mm-hmm. There is not like that that is not allowed to be a double standard. Mm-hmm. You do not save face. You do not make yourself more of an authority figure by refusing to ever admit wrong. All you do is teach your child not to trust the like your judgment and self-evaluation of mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. They will look to you like the, that authoritarian dictator if you can never be corrected, mm-hmm. if you can never be humbled yeah, or wrong. Sure. And they may obey you, but not <clears throat> a love or no. respect right. or admonition. It's out of fear out of and not a reverent fear. No. But I'm scared. Right. Um, and so, and that's what I love, you know. Which go, one of us likes the hypocrite? <laughs> right. <laughs> None of us. We go down to what Paul says, the first commandment is with a promise. And that's obey your 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 mother and father. Honor. For you yeah. will, yeah, yeah, honor your mother, mother and father. father. You will live long in the land. You will live long in the land. The proverb, proverb two, says the upright mm-hmm. will live long in the land. Yes. It's always by wisdom. So in this commandment. You know what I always think of up when upright? I think of posture and my piano teacher forcing <laughs> me to sit with a straight back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she'd be so horrified. They're very disciplined. They, yeah. Play with the emotion. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's like the reason why that commandment to honor your father and mother is so important. Is so important is because the duty. That right. a mom and dad have. This is a commandment for all of us. a tremendous duty. Is a tremendous duty because wisdom preserves life. Yes. Not Guys. only will you live long in the land because your parents are not going to beat you, right. you disobedient right. child. <laughs> yeah. But it preserves life because it helps prevent sin too. Ultimately, like... It's so much better than riches. It's yeah. so much better than this. Right. You know, it, it, it's like... Well, and there is nothing more valuable than a relationship with the, the living God. Right. What then salvation? Right. We get distracted by all of these things and we, uh, we want the rewards. We want the, uh, we want the money. We want the status. Now those things within itself could be good as long as you have the responsibility, um, um, that you need to enact to love your neighbor with those things. Like being in the public eye is not a bad thing. Apology is in the public eye mm-hmm. a lot, mm-hmm. but they have a particular now responsibility to right. uphold that. So that they don't discourage people. Mm-hmm. Right. right, right. It's the <clears throat> great power, great responsibility. Right. But it's through wisdom that apology has been able to stand, live mm-hmm. long in the land, things like that. This is why also Paul says fathers, and he specifically looks at fathers, but I think it applies to moms, oh, obviously. Yes, of course. But he specifically says fathers because they're the leader of the household. Don't provoke your, your children, children to anger. To right? anger, lest they be discouraged. Yeah. And... That he's talking about a general discouragement there about life and Jesus and 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 you understand about all things about all things mm-hmm. discouragement in what they have to do right. for the rest of their lives mm-hmm. and how to live right you're not living long in the land they can, listen it's easy to honor your mom and dad when they're a good mom and dad right it's not when you when they're provoking you to anger yeah. all the time. And uh, how, or when they're hypocritical, right. How many stories can, and this is including our listeners, can tell right now 
a, a point of resentment towards their mom and dad mm-hmm. at all. Probably every person. Every single person. Right. And then some more than others. Right. Some a lot more. And those are usually the ones that we're talking to on a couch. Sure. <laughs> Indeed. So parenting is a very important thing. Right. So important that we had an, I, it literally impacts everything. And I think that we went deeper than any definition that we ever read or any research that it's ever been given. Mm. Just at least in the wisdom and philosophy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a humble brag. Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> because that, that this is the dividing line. I, I, I just see superficial understanding. Sure. Even though I love the attachment um, experiment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's important. We would, as Christians, can affirm, hey, listen, these right. things are going on. Well, and that God always said this was important. Yes. Yeah. Right. I just think that we have a remedy. Um, or We, we have, have an the, actual answer, right? We have the, uh, the wisdom and going, okay, if this is happening, mm-hmm. this is what needs to take right. place. Or in order to prevent this, right. this so is what needs to take So don't place. let your one-month-old baby cry it out, guys. Yeah. Not good. They need to cry. Um, they need to cry, but you need to respond. Yeah. To cry. And that closeness, mm-hmm. that skin to skin. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, yeah. I, I can go on forever and I have, but <laughs> well, guys, uh, we're like rounding the two forty minute mark. Yeah. So, um, again, <laughs> we hope you are enjoying these longer episodes with our new seasonal format. And another thing, Robin, no, I'm just kidding. We, in, we are enjoying all the research and putting them together. Um, so, yeah, we really hope it blesses you. Like I said, this is probably just the, the foundation or core discussion we'll have about this. Please send questions, comments, um, you know, thoughts about any of this. We love personal stories and experience um, and, you know, We'll be praying for all of you, each and every one of you, that you are good, faithful, Christ-centered parents. Yeah. Um, and don't fret over any of this either. Like, and I can feel people just like, oh, what am I? What have I done? What am I doing? Um, remember that you actually have the yeah. answer in Christ, right? Like, yeah, and and that's a that's a good way to leave this off. You know, if you're a mom and dad, and we have mostly moms listening to as well, in um, you know, if you feel discouraged or maybe you feel like you're failing, mm. remember that you have a heavenly father who loves you emphatically, who is gracious and patient with Perfectly, you. Perfectly, right. And um, learn, get that into your heart, reflect it uh, uh, as you're raising your child and always take heart because he has overcome the world. We love you guys. Love you.